Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm the host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 13th, 2022, including... Xbox Cloud Gaming is officially coming to MetaQuest 2. Microsoft gives us a peek behind Game Pass's financial curtain. Ubisoft announces a new global office. I want to opine about this gem of a game I just discovered called Dead Space. And more. On this day in Xbox history in the year 2020, G.I. Joe Operation Blackout download release came on Xbox One. I think it came out like worldwide, but this one says US, but I'm pretty sure it came out everywhere. Uh, Yeah, G.I. Joe Operation Blackout. You may be saying, what the fuck is G.I. Joe Operation Blackout? I only picked this one because I'm literally playing this game right now. It is a current game I am playing. Yeah, this game is kind of garbage middleware. G.I. Joe licensed crap, and I, I absolutely adore this game. It's kind of what I miss a lot in uh, in gaming, just that kind of not fully there, but there's there's like a, an inkling of a decent game here, just kind of quick turn and burn, no-name dev licensed game. It just it, it makes me a little nostalgic, but yeah, this game's kind of good. It's a little bit of like a short mission-based Gears of War clone, if you will, is like the best way I could put it, but it's uh, it's it's not a bad game. I don't know why, don't know what's going on with me, but I've been having a weird little G.I. Joe kick lately, so when I saw that this was a game that came out on this day in Xbox history, I knew this is the one we had to use for the show, so I got my Cobra shirt in the mail coming, playing some G.I. Joe this weekend, and now, what do you know, it's the two-year anniversary of G.I. Joe Operation Blackout, which... If you're ever going to play, I highly recommend you only buy it on sale because it's on sale like 90% of the time. And when it goes on sale, it's like $7. So please do not spend full price on this game. It's probably not that good. Anyway, guys, welcome to episode 176 of the Xbox On Podcast. I'm excited to be with you this week. Now, if it sounds a little weird, if the audio sounds a little funny, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, Jesse, why does it sound like a Tuesday? Don't you record the podcast on Wednesday night and then it goes live on Thursday? Yes, very good hearing, by the way. I am recording on a Tuesday. Now, the reason for that, I try my very best not to do this because I want the news to be as as, as current and inclusive as humanly possible when it comes out. I want the time between me recording the show and you getting the show to be so short that all the most important relevant news of the time is, is there in the podcast. But I have something going on this Wednesday, which has made me unable to record on Wednesday night. So here I am recording on Tuesday night. God, it's just my fingers crossed because I, I, I get so anxious the few times this has happened where I'm like, oh my God, Xbox is going to fucking announce that they're acquiring PlayStation, but they're also pulling out of gaming and that they're going to make cars from now on. And oh, I'm going to miss all the fucking news and every podcast is going to capture it except for me. So 
Fingers crossed that Xbox doesn't buy PlayStation and decide to start making cars. But in case it does happen, and then on Thursday, you're like, Jesse, why the fuck didn't you cover this? It's because I had to record on Tuesday. But it's all worth it. It might be meeting Wolfgang Puck, and that's all I'll say for now. All right, guys. <laughs> Let's start out this week's episode with some corrections, shout-outs, updates. Not shout-outs. Corrections, updates, stories of mild amusement. For the first time in a while, we do have a correction, or maybe, I don't know. I guess we could put, call it correction or a, an explanation of something I just was a little... uh lacking in the knowledge department on last year last year last week we were talking about overwatch 2 which just came out and the ddos attack and all that and me and my lack of understanding of how technical things work was just like i think i understand what a ddos attack is i think it's this or that well mojo writes in with his ability to know things and uh it clarifies and says distributed denial of service is basically flooding a website or a server with constant large volumes of traffic so the website or server cannot run for the newbies out there well mojo thank you for clarifying i i am a newbie and uh now my brain feels enlightened and uh, i can go around town feeling like you know Sure, maybe I'm not the coolest guy, maybe I'm not the smartest guy, maybe I'm not the richest guy, but I know what a DDoS attack is. What the fuck do you know? All right, well, that's it for our corrections, guys. Let's get into our stories of mild uh, amusement and updates. I don't really think we have any updates. Oh, I guess technically we have updates because shit about the acquisition with Activision and Microsoft, whatever, keeps coming up. But let's start with this one because uh, the, it's a tease, but we know exactly what it is, and... Uh, there's not there's not much to to dig into here. I think it's pretty black and white what we're what we're getting here. Uh, VGC reports that Microsoft head of gaming, CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer, may be teasing Xbox's upcoming game streaming device as a new office photo. You know how it goes, Phil Spencer, whenever he's on a video call or there's a picture of him in his at his home work desk or whatever, you look through the shelf on the background and that's famously how so many things get teased or announced. It's famously how the Xbox Series S. Uh, was first shown, despite the fact that nobody really caught it until after the console was like really already announced, and that was how we uh, became aware of the Xbox Series S. It was just sitting there on the back of, of Phil Spencer's bookshelf in a uh, in a Zoom call or something like that, a Teams call. Well, we got another little tease like that because this week the the upcoming game streaming device that Xbox has been teasing and talking about for a while uh, was was believed to be shown in that photo. In fact, we. Pretty much know it's what was shown. Uh, Codenamed Keystone, the device will enable enable players to stream Xbox games to TVs or monitors without the need for a home console. On Monday, Xbox boss Phil Spencer posted a photo of his office featuring the Vault Boy statue, which he said was sitting there to celebrate Fallout's 25th anniversary. However, eagle-eyed Twitter users quickly noticed the mysterious-looking white device on Spencer's top shelf, which which is Xbox's upcoming streaming hardware, according to The Verge. And a following update, Xbox... The official Xbox Twitter account responded to Phil Spencer's tweet where the photo had the, you know, the tease in the background and said, now, what did we say about putting old prototypes on your shelf, boss? Which is so cute. Don't you love when big corporations try to be, uh, try to be like people and have personalities and be snarky and so cute. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, unless this is like some other Xbox hardware that's on the way that we don't know about, it's pretty obvious this is the streaming device, the $50, $100, whatever it is, kind of Roku Xbox stick that we've all been, that we've all been speculating about and then hearing rumors about and then xbox has been teasing and so we know it's coming but this is it it looks kind of like um it looks kind of like a tiny xbox series s it's white it's got pretty much the same form factor it's just real small and i guess i don't know what i was expecting uh i'm glad it doesn't look like a streaming stick because i feel like that's kind of a 
I know, there's something just kind of demeaning about that form factor for like a thing that's supposed to play console games or, or video games. So, you know what it reminds me of a little bit is, uh, uh, man, I, I don't know if anyone will remember this. In 2000 and I want to say 15, I want to say 2015, PlayStation released uh, a little hardware device called the, the, what was it? What was it called actually? It was the PlayStation Vita Home. I, I actually, oh, PlayStation TV. I, I have one of these things. It was like 150 or 200 I think it was like $150, $130, something like that. And it was this little this little brick. It looks kind of like a like a hard a hard disk drive, like a external hard drive or something you'd buy or like a solid state drive or something. It's like a little a little puck brick thing. And um, it was basically a PlayStation Vita, which was PlayStation's second handheld gaming device. Uh, but made into a little device with an HDMI cable so you could plug it up to a TV, connect a PS3 or 4 controller, and basically play PlayStation video games on your TV. So this kind of looks like the Xbox version of that. The, the difference is this is not a piece of hardware that runs games natively. This is a box that connects to your internet so you can stream Xbox games to your TV or monitor. So definitely a different idea, but it kind of reminds me of a similar form factor. I just, I, I don't know, I, I got those... That I was reminded of that when I saw it. Um, obviously, this is very different. Um, PlayStation TV was an absolute bomb. Of, like, it completely bombed when it came out. No one ever talked about it. I doubt many people remember it. And I ended up picking mine up on Amazon for, like, 20 bucks, like, less than a year after it came out because PlayStation was just like, we're fucking getting rid of these things. Neat little device, little piece of gaming history. But, um... I don't think that will be the case with this device at all. I think this is a really wise piece of tech for Xbox to be working on and getting out there. Uh, again, this is that how to get gaming into the hands of more people. You think about a $100 kit, and this is my guess, is that this is a $100 to $130 little kit. comes with the little Xbox streaming set and probably comes with a controller, right? And you plug this into your TV or your monitor, and boom, all you got to do is have a Game Pass subscription. You're playing all the latest and greatest games over on Xbox. And in a world where Xbox's major focus is trying to get subscribers to Game Pass and not necessarily, you know, not their biggest focus isn't necessarily selling hardware, this is just another low barrier entry point. You got the most affordable console on the market with the Xbox Series S. You got the streaming stick, which is the most affordable way to play Xbox games, period. And, of course, you have the hardcore console like Xbox Series X. And with all these different SKUs, plus the ability to stream through PC and mobile, etc., etc., tablets, uh, various uh, Logitech cloud devices made from China, whatever. This way, everyone has a way of accessing it, especially when you're trying to penetrate those markets in Asia, where they're trying to get in Japan, they're trying to get into Korea. These are the kinds of devices, I think, that are really going to help appeal to those markets, as well as maybe give, you know, I, I think about, like, the PlayStation fan that really loves Bethesda games that no longer can play Starfield. This might be a way to sell that person some Xbox-related hardware and get them to subscribe to Game Pass, because, you know, maybe if you're Joe, the PlayStation 5 fanboy, and you, you've never bought an Xbox and you never wanted to, but you love Elder Scrolls and you love Fallout and you love Bethesda, and you're like, fuck, I want to play Starfield, and, you, and you're not a PC gamer or something, you know? Maybe you're going to pick one of these up so you can play Starfield. You know, it's it's that's the kind of thing is more ways to get people into the Xbox ecosystem. So I think that's what this device is. It looks like it's all it's all coming together, and I think pretty soon here we'll probably have some more concrete info on this device. But moving on to our next story of mild amusement, I want to get into this one. I think uh, maybe this one doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily apply to a whole lot of people because. I know Google Chrome is just such a dominant web browser, but to me, I thought this was pretty cool and exciting. Uh, per Windows Central, as reported by Windows Central, and I tested this out myself, it's, it's a thing, it's awesome. Um, 
Xbox Cloud Gaming, the cloud-based gaming service included with the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, is now being included via browsers and or in mobile devices, as we knew was coming. And but uh, but now we have a more direct and in like appealing way to kind of find ways to access cloud gaming. So let me stop being vague and say this. So a new feature is rolling out. Um, I, I'm already able to use it on on my computers. I've tried it out on my Surface and my and my desktop, and it worked. A uh, a new feature is rolling out that lets you access Xbox Cloud Game gaming directly from Bing searches uh, when you use Microsoft Edge. So let me, they, um, let me explain what that is. So they already have this on Microsoft Edge for iOS. Um, that's kind of how you get around the whole, you can't get the Game Pass app in Apple's App Store. But basically what this means is, so you're on your computer or your iPhone and you use Microsoft Edge as your web browser because you have a big brain, you don't use Google Chrome. You use Bing as uh, you use Bing as your search engine instead of Google because you also have a, a just a massive brain, and you type up Gears Five or Halo Infinite or whatever you type in, right? And then the first search result, like you know, like any search engine like Google or whatever, you'll get the Wikipedia page and the website and you know some game facts or whatever it is. But you'll also see just at the very top the picture box art for the game and a little green Xbox logo button that says play now. Click on that, and if you signed into your you know Xbox, your Microsoft account through Bing, through Edge, it'll just automatically launch you into the game through your web browser. It's fucking awesome. Really cool. Another accessible, easy way. Again, this is probably doesn't mean a whole lot for those of us who are like hardcore, lifelong Xbox gamers who like to sit in front of the couch and play Xbox. But again, for this new audience where the Xbox is trying to capture where it's all about where how can we find players where they're at meet them there and be like hey game pass cloud gaming accessibility low barrier to entry just a couple bucks a month you know and this is just one of those things that goes a long way now obviously if you really want to get this to take off you want to get this in Google because even though Bing as much as it has been a laughing stock uh, even though Bing has been Bing and Edge have steadily been on the incline over the years in terms of usership and just and just respect and growth. Still, you know, the, the usership of, of Microsoft Edge as a web browser or Microsoft Bing as a search engine is completely dwarfed by Google Chrome and Google as a search engine and fuck even like Mozilla Firefox and stuff like that as a web browser and all that. So obviously with Edge and Bing being distant in terms of the capturing the market for web browsers and internet search engines, obviously the best way to really, really start to capture this market is to work something out with Google. And I, I say, you know, now that now that Stadia's dead, why can't Microsoft work something out with Google where they can get the, a similar thing as what they have on Bing, where it's like, hey, if you search up Gears of War 5 or Gears 5 in Google, the first thing that pops up is is like play now on, on cloud gaming for Xbox. Why not? Now, they'd have to pay out the fucking ass to get Google to do that because being a top search result, being the first thing you see when you search something on Google is like just the fucking most expensive slash most SEO intensive motherfucking backbreaking work for, for any anyone who works in um, just in, I don't know, anything web website related. So obviously this isn't just like some easy, let's shake hands and agree on something kind of deal between Microsoft and Google. It would cost tons and tons of money, but nonetheless, this is how you would really get this kind of feature uh, in front of just endless ocean of, of users. Um, so I think that's really cool that the feature exists. Hopefully we see it expand. For people like me, of course, it's already perfect because I'm not a goddamn sadist. I, of course, use Bing as my search engine. I, of course, use Edge as my web browser. But then again, I also have an IQ of 217. All right, next up, 
Uh, I only got two more I want to talk about before we get into like the real news. But I thought this was just an interesting little story just to give some kind of context for those of us who obviously don't really work with this stuff directly and don't, don't have too much of a, a grasp on like what kind of money is thrown around in the games industry. Kind of put some perspective over like what it what it takes to get some games into services like Game Pass or games of gold or PlayStation Plus, etc. So uh, according to VGC, Sony Interactive Entertainment and Xbox have paid millions of dollars to include arc titles into their rival game subscription services it's been revealed licensing fees paid uh, to include the games on playstation plus and xbox game pass were confirmed last month in an sec filing by snail games the owner of arc franchises developer and publisher studio wildcard in november 2021 snail entered an agreement with sony to make arc survival evolved available on ps4 as one of march of 2022's playstation plus games in exchange for 3.5 million dollars now remember that number the company at the time had already agreed to a three-year license agreement with Microsoft for the game to be included on Game Pass, which has been scheduled to end on the uh, in uh, 2021 before it was eventually extended. And as of and in 2020, it was confirmed that Microsoft had signed the game's Vin Diesel starring sequel, Arc 2, as an Xbox exclusive. So it won't even be coming to PlayStation. I, I feel like that's timed, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. The agreement was subsequently amended in June of 2020 to extend Arc 1 Game Pass perpetually, effective January 1st, 2022, to put Arc on Game Pass for three years, according to Snail's SEC filing. All right. So this just gives you a little bit of idea. Um, well, I mean, first of all, it's perspective at, at one thing. The art games, Ark Survival, Ark Evolved, whatever these fucking dinosaur crafting, Minecraft knockoff, whatever these games are. I've always seen them, never really wanted to play them. These games are fucking massive. These games are so big. I know this is one of those genres, one of those franchises where it's like a bunch of kids like really, really, really get into this shit. But it's like one of those things where like people who are like tra more traditional gamers, if you will, are like, what? Or survive what the fuck is this dinosaur hunting monster hunter minecraft thing and um i i, I know it's just a, a weird wide world of of just a, a open-ended crafting game but it's a massive franchise it makes tons and tons of money and you see that this is the kind of money and the kind of opportunity that's on the line that microsoft you know think about it like this microsoft went above and beyond to secure arc 2 as a flag as a console exclusive for xbox and a game pass title where was xbox when they had the opportunity to get marvel back you know in 2014 2015 i know it's a lot of time between those deals lots of different people making those kinds of deals and behind closed doors having those meetings but like just a little bit of like a a thing to compare and contrast right this is just how incredibly remarkable of, of a team or a, of a franchise you know in terms of playership and monetary value um, that these games offer and it's just such a big get that playstation spent 3.5 million and remember you know we talk about microsoft throwing around money a couple million here a couple million there to get things like mlb the show or outriders or whatever you know as day one game pass launches to get that big splash and they put a couple million dollars here a couple million dollars there this is sony also shelling out that kind of money to get these kinds of titles into playstation plus and playstation plus is just free games included with your online subscription so this is this is serious stuff like the kinds of money these companies are willing to throw around i think as far as xbox is concerned really this just speaks to that larger conversation of just like how is game pass profitable you think about all the games they get all the exclusives they get all the timed exclusives they get how much content they have to support through that service to constantly keep it fresh keep it coming back for more and to sell it all for 10 15 bucks a month it's kind of mind-boggling right and so, I mean, to me, this just screams, and we know the family deal is coming for Game Pass soon. That's an even better value. To me, this just screams like this $10, $15 a month stuff is not 
you know, is not long for this world. This is a, you know, this is an early days kind of thing. There will be a day. This is, uh, remember Netflix, when Netflix was like six bucks a month? There will be a day where you're paying, you know, Netflix, God, I think some tiers are like $18 a month now. There will be a day where we're paying like 25 bucks a month for Game Pass and stuff like that because this shit is just expensive. It's competitive as hell. So competitive. It's crazy to think Microsoft and Sony are fighting over titles like Ark Survival while most of us are just like, they should buy, they should buy fucking Square Enix, they should buy fucking, uh, who the, uh, Plague Tale Innocent, Sobo. They, you know, we're going back and forth over all these teams they should buy, and, uh, <laughs> really the money's being thrown around to get Vin Diesel Dinosaur Hunter. Uh, as a Game Pass exclusive. All right, the the final thing I want to go over before we get into the actual news this week, guys, is uh, I know this isn't really Xbox related, but it is video game related, and I just feel like we kind of got to acknowledge it because it's just one of those things that's kind of a big deal. Also, there's a lot of movement towards TV shows and movies right now in the games industry, and some are doing it better than others, so I just kind of want to mention this. Just get a read, a, a pulse read. Uh, I'd love to hear you guys ride in on this uh, with comments if, 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 if you have anything to say on the matter, but... Last week, I guess last Thursday, Friday, or whatever, uh, Nintendo released the first trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie, which has been highly anticipated. Um, I shouldn't maybe say, maybe the movie itself hasn't been as highly anticipated as it is uh, the morbid curiosity as to what the fuck this movie would look like. But yeah, the movie is real. We have an official trailer. It's coming out April 7th, the next year. Uh, they had a whole Nintendo Direct just for this trailer. And, um, uh, I gotta be honest, man. I, I think this movie looks pretty good, all things considered. The animation is simply stunning. Like, the animation is breathtakingly beautiful. And um, I was actually really sold by that first part of the trailer with Bowser and the penguins and the, and the castle and just the fucking animation and the goofiness and cuteness of it all. I thought it was really good. Actually, where this movie kind of loses me is all the footage slash photos and screenshots and leaks we've seen of like human characters because I think they look a little, I feel like no one's saying this, but my, my thing is like Mario looks kind of fucking weird. Like the way Mario looks in this movie kind of reminds me of the ugly Sonic we had originally with the Sonic movie before they had to go back and fix it and make him look less terrible. I, I don't know. I don't see a lot of people mentioning this, but like Bowser looks great. The animal characters look great. The world looks beautiful, fucking stunning. But man, the, the, the human characters to me look a little funky, a little, a little funky. Uh, if, in, uh, I don't know. So I just wanted to, say that but mostly i actually want to give nintendo some credit because um there's just so much of a weird disconnect right now in games with this massive i i honestly i can't i can't put my finger on what it is but like it's this desire for this synergy this cross-pollination of entertainment mediums where you know obviously we have historically seen video games become movies and movies become video games and the cross-pollination of these of these mediums you know, the t old Tomb Raider movies, the old Resident Evil movies, uh, there's been, I think Hitman's been done a couple times, like they've had multiple attempts at Hitman movies, Prince of Persia, Doom, you know, the old Super Mario Bros. movie, which was absolute dog shit, like just so many examples of these kinds of things, Mortal Kombat, you know, some are better than, I actually like those old Mortal Kombat movies, I think those are a little underrated, to be honest, um, they kind of do it for me, uh, but anyway, just lately, we've been really going back to that. Like, PlayStation right now, as I mentioned last week, 
they're kind of like in a little bit of a 2013 Xbox phase where they're just like TV, 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 movie, movie, movies. Like if you really look at PlayStation's upcoming slate, we know a lot more about the upcoming movies and TV shows from PlayStation than we know about the upcoming games. Like after God of War in November, it's like pfft, whisper quiet over on PlayStation. It's just a bunch of fucking TV shows. <laughs> and then you look over at Nintendo and it's like, God, they're, they're actually doing it. Like we all thought Nintendo would never give this shit a chance again after the 90s and the Mario Bros. movie and the shitty Zelda shows and shitty Mario shows back in the day remember that curry show on like four kids tv back in the early 2000s people around my age will absolutely remember what i'm talking about just a lot lots of weird shit and um i don't know it's just crazy thing nintendo's going back they're giving it another go you know nintendo who are so historically protective of their characters and their ip and here they are of all studios working with illuminations on uh, the fucking despicable me guys they make the some of the absolute worst most dog shit movies in animation and Nintendo's working with them to make a Mario movie. It's absolutely just mind-boggling. <laughs> and, um, I mean, here we go. Like, and, you know, Xbox is definitely you no know, innocent player here as well. We just got the Halo TV show this year on Paramount+. Plus, Which, uh, you know, at first I was like, it's different, but it's not bad. But as the, as the show progressed, like, that Halo show was rough. Like, that Halo show, like, looking back on it, having finished the season, in hindsight... That Halo show kind of sucks. It kind of misses entirely the core of what makes Halo special. The the live action looks just super fucking cheap and budgety as hell. The goddamn like Chevy SUVs driving around the background disguised as not fucking cars, but they absolutely are. And it, it's a it's a bad show. It's like not a great show. It has some good elements and some good moments, but it's not a good show. And it's just weird to see everyone jumping back on this. Historically, it's been such a struggle for gaming to translate well into TV and movies, but it seems like the times we see it get done right is almost exclusively when it's done as a TV show. I'm talking about that new Edge Runner uh, cyberpunk show on Netflix or like the Castlevania show on Netflix. The, those are two perfect examples. People absolutely adore those shows. Remember back the, what is it, Halo Legends? That that um, that collection of like the various like anime style Halo interpretive shorts from like 2010 or whatever that was, like those were fucking awesome. Like so many examples of like doing it right. And it seems like consistently it's like short form or TV show or animation wins the day. But it's this constant thing of like, why are we all jumping back into this attempt to, to do video games as movies, to do video games as TV shows? And most of it, it's like not like Uncharted. They just did an Uncharted movie. And I heard it was fun. I haven't seen it. I actually want to see it. It looks like it's, fun but very very stupid and that seems to be the reaction most people who have seen it have given it and um man it's just god it's like, why are we doing this you know it's like video games i don't know I, I know i sound all over the place but i just i have a lot of thoughts on this it's something that we don't talk about too much because outside of halo there's not much of this happening in the xbox ecosystem but the fact that sony's going so hard on it and now even nintendo's getting involved in it, i'm just like like what video games have come so far they're so cinematic they're so experiential they're so beautiful looking and, and just vivid and encapsulating and, and, and engrossing and for some reason we still feel this need to be like how do we adapt it into movies and I understand it it's not necessarily about well we think movies uh, allow for a mode of, of uh, immersion that video games don't have I think it has a lot more to do with we're trying to get our IP across to markets that otherwise wouldn't play video games so that, you know, The Last of Us or Uncharted or Mario or Halo can be a beloved property to people who wouldn't otherwise like 
video games. Mario, I think, is a little different. Maybe Sonic as well with the Sonic movies that are I, I be defying God by not being bad movies. I mean, they're not great movies, but I cannot believe Sonic the Hedgehog has two live-action movies, not cartoons, live-action movies that are surprisingly pretty fun. And um, I know with Mario and Sonic, it probably has a lot more with trying to get, you know, the, the newer, the younger generation of kids into Mario and Sonic, you know, this generation that is being raised by uh, Roblox and Minecraft, trying to get them to be like, hey, your parents grew up with Sonic and Mario. These guys are cool. Don't don't forget about these guys in between your matches of Fortnite and, and Roblox, you know? I understand that's what those movies are more so trying to accomplish, so I kind of give Nintendo and Sega a pass in that regard, but it's like, what the fuck are these other guys doing? It's like, I, I get Microsoft wants to make a Halo show so Halo can appeal to people outside of gaming because Halo has a lot of potential as a is a good sci-fi series. I get that. But man, do Halo some justice. Don't make it a fucking shitty cheap live action like softcore porno. Like make it a fucking kick-ass anime or something like what Cyberpunk did. And it just it, I don't know, it makes me sad that we've been doing this song and dance for so long and every now and then sure you get a Sonic movie or what looks to be like this new Mario movie and it just somehow gets it right. But too often, you know, way more often than not, it's just like, what what are we doing with these fucking live-action Halo shows? And I'll give them credit, that Last of Us TV show, I saw the trailer for it. It looks good, actually. And, uh, you know, it's completely pointless because Last of Us is such a fucking story-driven game that it feels like you're basically watching a TV show anyway. But I guess if you want to just take all the interactive ability of that game away from it and just watch it, I guess that's one way to get... Maybe mom and dad or grandma and grandpa to give a shit about The Last of Us. I don't know, but I don't know. I just wanted to rant on that a little bit. Shout out to the Mario movie. It looks surprisingly good. Again, uh, the studio making it, Illuminations, they are absolutely dog shit. They make Despicable Me and Minions and Secret Life of Pets and Sing and all these god-awful trash movies. And um, this Mario movie looks really good. Like The animation is, the animation is breathtaking. Um, it looks cute, looks charming, looks funny. I want to give him credit where his credit's due. Like, I'm actually looking forward to giving this movie a watch. Um, I wonder, I'm willing to bet this has everything to do, the reason why Illuminations is making this movie, probably has everything to do with that contract between Nintendo and Universal, because Universal is NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast. Obviously, they have a deal with Nintendo because they're building all those Nintendo lands in their Universal theme parks around the world. Japan has one. California's about to get one. And we're getting one here in Florida in a few years. So my assumption is that that partnership, that agreement between Comcast, NBC, Universal extends to movies as well because Illuminations is actually owned by NBC, Universal or Comcast or whatever. That's like their Disney or their Pixar, if you will. So that I wonder if it's like, when it came to movies, they already had some pre-contractual obligation to work with them for a Mario movie. That's my guess, but here's hoping they don't fuck it up. That that studio has never made a movie that didn't suck, but this Mario movie looks surprisingly good, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and come in as uh, impartial as I poss possibly can try to have a good time. But uh, for the most part, guys, come on. I get it. Games are expensive to make. You want to find ways to make money. Not everything needs to be a TV show or movie. Calm down. Okay, that's it for all of our updates, stories of model amusement, whatnot. I didn't expect to talk about video game movies for that long, but okay. Guys, we're going to jump into the news next, but you, you know, we never go in that fast. First, we talk about the games I've been playing of the week, kind of go over that. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I want to tell you quick about what I've been eating. Now, I know, Jesse, last week you kind of copped out 
by not talking about what you were actually eating. You just wanted to talk about Halloween candy. And then clearly no one wanted to talk about Halloween candy because no one even wrote in about it. Jesse, you're just you're just pedaling here. You're just spinning your wheels. You're burning out. No one wants to hear you talk about fucking Halloween candy. You absolute hack. And I get it. I'll take the L. I'm sorry, guys. But this week, I got to talk to you about another thing I haven't actually been eating, but is a food-related thing that is on my mind. It is weighing on me. This is, of course, the McDonald's Cactus Plant Flea Market Adult Happy Meal now available. Now, for 98% of you who just said, Jesse just word vomited on his podcast, yes. Excuse me. Bless you. I'm sorry. But first of all, no. I, I the, So McDonald's has adult Happy Meals now. I feel like we got to mention it because so much of this show's foundation is based on talking McDonald's, talking Taco Bell, talking Taco Tacos Tuesdays, whatever. And um, McDonald's now has an adult Happy Meal. I feel like the cross-section of people who eat fast food, which are also overgrown adults who probably still play with toys and listen to Xbox on, I feel like there's a pretty good crossover. If you look at the Venn diagram, that definitely certainly explains me. And so I'm wondering if maybe a handful of you fall into this category as well, and then maybe this applies to you. The idea of McDonald's doing an adult Happy Meal is ingenious. The only thing I can say to that is, what took you so long, McDonald's? Why? Why did it take this many years for you to be like, oh, we can just sell adult meals with toys and make more money. Beautiful. I love the idea. The problem is McDonald's did the modern try hard thing. It's this stupid thing where we got to act like adults are so cool. And so everything is so artistic. Listen, adults are more than fucking happy to get a pack of Pokemon cards or a Lightning McQueen toy or a fucking My Little Pony in their Happy Meal box. I absolutely promise you, I know I speak for most people listening to this show where I, when I say, if you want to do an adult Happy Meal McDonald's, just put the goddamn kid's toy in the, in, in the fucking Big Mac combo and everyone's going to be okay. But no, McDonald's had to do the stupid fucking social media market mashup synergy bullshit that they always do. It's like the fucking Travis Scott meal all over again. More like Tragedy Scott because that guy's a fucking murderer and also now McDonald's is doing bad things to the Happy Meal. They're practically murdering it. So for those who aren't initiated, because I had to look this up, I had to do research to figure this fucking out. Can't believe I had to do research to understand what a Happy Meal was. But Cactus Plant Farm Flea Market whatever is not a flea market. It's not some nonprofit organization or some fucking hippy-dippy co-op. It is a stupid fucking Urban Outfitters-esque brand, whatever. It's just like some stupid fucking clothing, fashion, trendy Instagram brand where they basically just draw shit. They just draw like urban art and graffiti and birds and fucking dumpsters and everything has like four eyeballs on it. And that is basically what this is. And McDonald's is like, that's cool. That's trendy. I think adults will be into this. And so they partnered with this stupid fucking brand and they're like, here, now you can get an adult combo like the Big Mac with fries, but it's an adult Happy Meal and it will come with a toy. We're going to take classic McDonald's characters from like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, like Grimace and the fucking jail guy and the bird girl and the fucking Ronald McDonald. And we're going to put like 17 eyeballs on these little plastic toys and we're going to sell them to adults for $14 a combo. And um, again, it's just like, it's such a good idea, and it's such an easy one to get right. And it's actually more affordable for McDonald's to do the right thing here, but they fucked it up and did the wrong thing. They went out. They partnered with some stupid hippie brand. They got some stupid toy nobody cares about. They tried to be trendy and get the Instagram attention, and they partnered with this dumb Urban Outfitters wannabe to get five eyeballs all over your Big Mac. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look this up. I swear to God, it's the weird shit. But I'm telling you, just like I said, adults would be happy to pay 
$14 for a Big Mac with fries and a drink if you put it in a Happy Meal box and gave them the same fucking toy you're offering the kids on the regular Happy Meal. Case in point, right now for kids, McDonald's Happy Meal toys are cars on the roads. The new Disney Plus show, Lightning McQueen, Cruiser Ramirez, Tomater, I'm talking the whole fucking nine yards, Jackson Storm up in this motherfucker, and I would be more than happy to give McDonald's $14 for them to give me an adult-sized Happy Meal cardboard box with a Big Mac, fries, a Coke, and a goddamn Lightning McQueen wind-up race car toy. But no, they want to give me a goddamn bird with four eyes on it. Because they think I shop at Urban Outfitters, but most of my shirts come from Amazon. Okay, so I'm heated about that. That's all That's all good and well. I'm sure many of you have seen that. I'm sure, I feel like that's not a, a, a hot take or an unpopular take. I feel like that's pretty relatable. Uh, but I do want to give McDonald's a chance to redeem themselves because they did also announce this week that they're bringing back the Halloween Happy Meal buckets. For those who don't remember... I don't, I don't know when they did this, honestly. I don't want to say, oh, that was a thing they did in the early 2000s, and then someone's going to write in and be like, um, 80s kid here, they did this when I was a kid in 1984. I love Stranger Things. It's like, okay, okay, I didn't mean to offend you. Um, this is this is something they did when I was a kid. They've probably done it other times before, but I remember in the early 2000s, around Halloween time, you go to McDonald's and you get a Happy Meal, and it was like a little jack-o'-lantern bucket. And you get your fries and your cheeseburger and your Coke and all that shit in your little bucket. And then after you ate your happy, after you ate your your meal and kept your toy, you don't eat the Happy Meal toy, please, for the love of God, don't eat that. Um, you'd have this little Halloween jack o' lantern looking bucket, and you could use it as your trick or treat bucket for your candy. It's really cute, it's really ingenious, it's a great way to get kids to want to go to McDonald's for Halloween, all these kinds of things. Really fun idea, and uh, they're bringing it back. So I don't know if it's back right now. I hope it is. Pretty close to Halloween. I just want to give McDonald's props for this because that's a cool throwback. That is that's a cool way to be like, hey. Instagram, we're nostalgic. Come spend money at our brand. Like that that's how you do it. That's good. That's more of that shit. Please and thank you, McDonald's. Also, we want Sonic the Hedgehog mashup with Lightning McQueen toys now at McDonald's. Please and thank you. That's it for what I've been not eating because I didn't eat any of that. I'm just talking about food for no reason. Guys, let's talk about what I've been playing. This week I got two games to talk about. The first one we'll touch on briefly because I don't have much to say. I just really wanted to kind of understand this game. And I'm talking about Overwatch 2. So, shout out to my nephew for giving me the cool insider tip. Obviously, many of you, I, I don't know if this problem is still happening at the time you're listening to this podcast, but um, I, over this past weekend, I tried to play some Overwatch 2. I think I played it for two nights straight. Um, and yes, it was still having that issue where you log in and it's like, there are 20,000 people ahead of you and you had to wait like 30 minutes to get into the main menu. Um, I was running into that for a little bit and then my nephew gave me a super sick insider life hack for Overwatch 2. If you just switch your region from, from North America to Asia... Um, suddenly it would go from like a queue of 30,000 people to like a queue of 100 people. So that's what I did. And uh, we were able to get in matches pretty good. So for two nights, I played Overwatch 2. I played with my brother. I played with my nephew. I played by myself. I tried a bunch of this game. Probably cumulatively spent about four hours in the game. I never really played Overwatch 1. You guys know I love to rag on it and make fun of little, little sweaty kids with that Overwatch anime porn and all that. But, you know, the, the original Overwatch, when it came out in 2016, I only ever played it for 20 minutes. I went over to a friend's house one time. He kept showing me that he had one of those Steam controllers. You remember Steam controllers that had touch pads instead of analog sticks back in the day? And he was like, look, it's so good with Overwatch 2. Why don't you give it a try? And I tried it, and I was like, wow, this sucks. 
Uh, I couldn't tell if it was the game or the controller, but I was like, I don't like any of this. <laughs> and that was my only experience ever playing Overwatch 1. So I have to be honest. I never gave Overwatch as a franchise a fair shake, and I don't want to just trash the game, especially from a gameplay perspective, without really having ever given it a chance. So knowing well that Overwatch 2, according to everyone who's ever seen it or played it, is just basically a big old 1.5 patch slash update to Overwatch, I figured now is the best time for me to give this game a go, see what it's all about, and really give the game a proper verdict based on my experience playing it and not just my reaction to what it looks like. And so I wanted to be fair, I wanted to be open-minded about it, and my only stipulation was I'm not playing as any of the freaky characters. So I'm not playing as the NFT ape, I'm not playing as the fucking anime chicken titty girl, and I'm not playing as the fucking Australian girl who tries to be all cute on fucking DeviantArt. I'm not playing as any of them. We're not doing that. But... I ended up playing a, as a bunch of different characters, and there's a couple characters in this game I actually really quite enjoyed. Not so much their personalities, they're all kind of obnoxious, but uh, I really like the new character, the new the new girl who like has the shotgun, the fucking like Rage 2 looking character. She's she's cool. I liked uh, I, I liked that one girl who's in like a knockoff Samus Aran like Metroid style suit, and she's got like the rocket launcher and she has like the hover jetpack thing. So it's so a couple characters I really got into. I was like these are cool, but this is the problem I ran into. And and listen, I understand this is fundamental what makes Overwatch unique. So the thing I'm about to complain about is probably something people, most people who like this game adore about this game. And it's that every character is so fundamentally different that it's overwhelming for me to find something I want to play. Because, listen, my favorite first-person shooters, my favorite online shooters to play, no secret. We talk about them all the time on the show. Halo is my number one. I, I also love Call of Duty. I don't know if Call of Duty is technically my number two, but if we're just going off pure playtime, Call of Duty is my number two. I love those games. Not afraid to admit it. I love Halo so much because Halo's like, even starts. Everyone starts off the exact same fucking way, and then you just fight in, around the map for the good shit. Like, you want the stick grenades? Go fight this guy to get the stick grenades. You want the, the sniper rifle? Go fight that guy to get the sniper rifle when it spawns in the map. You want this equipment? Fight this guy to go get it, you know, when it spawns in the map. And it's just everyone has an equal opportunity to play with the same toys. So Halo feels great. It's fundamentally about the same loop of grenades, melee, and, and AR or BR, whatever mode you're playing, you know. And I think that's just the absolute most perfect first-person shooter. I love it. I love Halo. Call of Duty makes things way more personalized than Halo, but it's also so good because it's so fun to personalize. Call of Duty is great because it's like, okay, what gun do you want to play with? Well, what perks do you want? Well, what kind of grenade do you want? What kind of, you know, uh, little fucking ways do you want to cosmetically adjust your character? And you make your own classes. And it's so fun in Call of Duty because you get to fine-tune your class and your character and your play style exactly your specifications. Do you like shotguns? Do you like assault rifles? Do you like SMGs? Do you like heavy, uh, like, LMGs? Do you like fucking stick grenades? Do you like Semtax? Do you like Bouncing Bettys? Do you like just regular fucking frag grenades? It's like, what do you like? Do you like smoke grenades? What do you, what kind of perks do you like? Do you want to fucking have a turret? Do you want to have a UAV? Do you want to have a, 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 a ACRV or whatever? I only ever get the three kill streak perks be, or kill streaks because I suck at Call of Duty. Don't, don't get mad at me. But I love it because it's like you can just keep adjusting the game until it plays exactly the way you want to play it. And I, I love that dichotomy. For me, when I play online multiplayer games, it's like I either play the game where everyone has the same toys and we get to fight over them, which is Halo, or you have Call of Duty where it's like everyone gets to play just exactly the way they want to play. And so it feels very personalized and fun. Overwatch, to me, feels like the absolute worst of both worlds, where it's like, all right, here's a situation. How do I want to approach it? Just like Halo, it's like, what's going to be the best equipment for this map, 
for this combat scenario, for this game mode, for these kinds of combatants I'm, I'm facing right now. And so you can switch your character. Like, oh, I, I need the person with the shotgun right now. No, I need the person with the with the sword right now. I need the person with this tactical ability because they all offer something different and you can use them in really tactical ways. Of course, it's also very cooperative and team-based. So you want to work together with your team to make sure you have the best assortment of characters. It's cool. It's kind of like Halo in that you can use various tools to your to your advantage or disadvantage. The problem is, it's also kind of like Call of Duty in that it's like, pick the playstyle that works best for you. So you pick the character that has the loadout you like, but unlike Call of Duty, I can't just pick, you know, this person's gun with this person's special ability with this person's uh, um, ultimate or whatever side ability. Or, it's infuriating because I feel like everyone is playing with completely different toys. I'm not 100% head over heels with anyone's full loadout. I, I want a little something from everyone. And I just can't make my perfect class. It just, it drives me nuts. I can't get into it. <laughs> so I don't know. To me, that was a huge turnoff. I also just don't really love the highly team oriented. I, I just don't like small, quick multiplayer matches that are so team oriented. Uh, it just, it didn't do it for me. I'd rather just be a little bit more of a, a, a like a, a lone man solo player. Um, maybe that's why I like Call of Duty so much. But yeah, o Overwatch 2 just didn't do it for me. And I, and I don't want to be down on the game because I actually liked a lot of the characters I did play as, you know, their actual play styles. I thought the maps in the game were pretty cool. I actually really enjoyed the artistic design of most of the maps I played. Um, I tried the game on both Xbox and PC. Definitely this is more of a PC game than an Xbox game. It feels way better on mouse and keyboard for sure. And it's just, the thing is, like, I want to give Overwatch a fair shake so that when I make fun of it, I'm justified. No, but in all seriousness, I want to give Overwatch a fair shake. The game just absolutely doesn't do it for me. It's just not my thing. I don't think it's a bad game by any means. If we're purely talking about Overwatch from the perspective of being a unique idea, I think it's absolutely a unique idea. I think having a personalized identity and being like just something in a, in a league of its own, I absolutely think Overwatch is that. Remember, Overwatch in 2016 really popularized the hero shooter kind of genre. And so in a lot of ways, you know, Overwatch deserves a lot of credit for some of the trends it has spawned in the games industry, um, for better and for worse. But I, I want to give credit where credit's due. Am I going to continue to make fun of the NFT? monkey and the anime egg titty girl yes of course no doubt am i going to continue to say overwatch sucks yes but do i admire and appreciate the game in a lot of ways now that i've played it and there's a lot of respect i have for what the game is and what blizzard have created here with this game yeah absolutely overwatch is not an absolute dog shit game that has no redeeming qualities there's a lot to love about overwatch it's just personally not for me and i'm never gonna not be tired uh i mean i'm never going to be tired of making fun of these characters and the people who love these characters. So, not sorry. I, I don't know why I thought Overwatch 2 had some kind of campaign or storied content. I guess I was wrong about that. Or maybe it's coming later. I don't know. Anyway, Overwatch, I'm glad I finally gave you a try. Uh, you're definitely not for me. And I see that as an overwhelmingly good thing because I'm over. I'm so consumed by so many games I want to play. The last thing I need is another game I like. Plus, last thing I need, the really the last thing I need is another live service multiplayer game that I like, because that, I mean, between Call of Duty and Crossfire X and Halo Infinite and Destiny 2, there are too many games I wish I could just dedicate my life to, and I just don't have the time for, so Overwatch 2, thank you for your time, on to bigger and better things, and boy, oh boy, did I play bigger and better things this weekend. In fact, the, the other game I played is so entirely unrelated to Overwatch in every meaning of the word in every in every possible conceivable way that it's crazy that i'm about to kind of compare this game to overwatch but what i really mean to compare is my experience i went from playing overwatch on thursday night and a lot of friday night to jumping into dead space for the first time now dead space i'm talking the original 2008 
um, visceral games back when they were still EA Red. What was it? Redwood Shores or whatever. Red Shore. Red Redwood. EA Redwood. Yeah, back in the day before they were even visceral games. 2008 Dead Space. Um, and I finally played this game. Now this is a game I've been meaning to play for about a decade. Uh, in 2008, I'm not gonna lie. Dead Space was definitely not on my radar in 2008. I was too busy being in eighth grade and thinking about Sonic Unleashed and Guitar Hero World Tour and Left 4 Dead. I, I, I didn't want anything to do with Dead Space. I didn't like horror. No, no thanks. But, you know, a couple years, maybe around the time Dead Space 2 or a little after Dead Space 2 came out, uh, Dead Space, I, I was starting to get to the age and the time of my life where I was like, mm, Dead Space is pretty interesting. Maybe I want to give that game a go someday. And uh, Dead Space, it always reminds me of, of Mass Effect because they're from a similar time period they're both EA-owned IP in, in games, and they're both, like, these these trilogies. There's three Mass Effect games, there's three Dead Space games, or, you know, three Mass Effect games, you know. You know what I mean. But they're both these these two EA series where it's like, I've always meant to get around to them, but I've just never done it. And I know I'll enjoy these games one day, I just need to get to them. But, uh, you know, Halloween's coming up, I'm looking for a good horror game to play. I'm really looking forward to Callisto Protocol in December, like, I have every intention of playing that at day one. But I would feel like such a fucking hack if I didn't have the experience of playing Dead Space first. And I don't want to wait for the remake to come out next year because I want to play Callisto Protocol now when it comes out. And so I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I have Dead Space 1, 2, and 3 from all the years of games with gold and things like that. There's, I don't have to buy it. It's already there. It's accessible. It takes two seconds to download. It's a 360 game. So, so easy to just play on your Xbox Series X. Why not? And uh, I got to say, Dead Space, I, I beat the game. I started on Friday night. And I wrapped it up by Sunday afternoon. Dead Space 1 is my all-time favorite horror game ever. That is what I learned this week. I think Dead Space is an absolutely stellar, beautiful masterclass of a game. I have so little to criticize this game for. Like, I, I, I have just, there's basically nothing about this game to me that is anything less than just absolute masterclass in uh, in-game design. It is everything I could want a horror game to be and more basically. I, I will tell you my one and only criticism I genuinely came across in this game and it is that part where you have to sit in the gunner seat and destroy those like asteroid debris things that are coming towards your si your ship for like 2 minutes or whatever. I found the the controls of that turret to be very just tanky and cumbersome and not very fun to play. That's that's my that's my criticism of the game. Otherwise, I fucking love this game. I love the silent protagonist, I love the story, I love the world building, I love the atmosphere, I love the enemy type, I love the gameplay, this fucking, these tools that can be kind of used as guns, but you're really more of like a repair specialist guy and not so much an actual soldier or anything, and and, and this fucking amazing, it's so simple, it's so fucking simple, this, this concept of like, yeah, don't aim for the head. When you're fighting these enemies, you're not going to aim for headshots. The, these monsters, the best way to kill them is to cut off their limbs, aim for their legs, aim for their arms. It's such a simple conceptually, you know, it's such a simple concept that really shouldn't make that much of a difference. But it's such a like a smile earning kind of just twisting conventional thinking on its head when you play the game. And you're just like, wow, how novel! I have to aim for the limbs, not the head, and it just makes the game. The game is so fun. It's just so unique. It's so different to play. You have to just approach third-person shooting in just such a different manner. Um, the the ratio of just like haunting, isolated, exploring moments of just of just trying to solve this simple puzzle or or get through this portion of the ship or find this objective to the actual moments where you encounter enemies is so masterfully paced. 
where it's like there's never too much combat, but there's never too much isolation away from combat, and combat scenarios almost never have too many enemies on screen at once, so it always feels meaningful and purposeful. Every time you encounter an enemy, you know exactly how many enemies are on screen, you know exactly how you're being disadvantaged by the, the scenario of, of, the, of the combat encounter and what you need to do to try and survive and properly uh, allocate your resources to get out of a hairy situation. It's just such a beautifully designed, intentfully designed game. I cannot believe this game is 12 years old and I'm just now playing it for the first time. I should be ashamed of myself, and in fact, I am. But Dead Space is, like I said, I'm, I I don't... I, I rip on horror movies a lot because I, I don't enjoy horror as a, as a movie genre. I think horror goes with video games like peanut butter and jelly. It's such a perfect genre for gaming. I, I enjoy horror quite a bit with gaming. It's, it's a genre I actually don't play enough of because I, I really do love it so much. I love Outlast. Um, I recently got into Resident Evil games. I really liked Resident Evil 3 Remake. I love Resident Evil 7. Um, I, I, I do have, you know, I, I grew up in a household with a lot of brothers that really loved horror games and was exposed to a lot of Alone in the Dark and Siren and just in uh, Silent Hill and all these kinds of horror games. I've always been around horror games. I've, I've played a handful of them, especially in, later in life, and I really enjoy the horror genre in gaming. But without a doubt, this weekend, when I played Dead Space 1 for the first time, I discovered what is my personal favorite horror game of all time. And my intention was just to play through this game just to get a feel for what the original thing that kind of kickstarted all was all about so that in December I could play Callista Protocol and not feel like some fucking hack. But I got to be honest, I feel like I need to get back into this and play Dead Space 2 and Dead Space 3 before Callisto Protocol comes out because I, I want to be fully entrenched in, in that experience before I move on. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like I want to let that ex amazing experience of having played Dead Space breathe a little bit before I just jump into the sequel because I don't want the whole series to run together as one like linear just chunk of thing I did in one week. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I absolutely adore this game. I know it's like, Jesse, you're really gushing and going on and on and on about this game that most of us played like a decade ago. What are you talking about, guy? Move on, dude. Talk about Overwatch 2. Talk about fucking what's, what's the new game people are playing talk about the new battle pass in Fortnite season seven man what are you doing but man dead space 2 absolutely stole my heart this weekend and uh i, I i'm so excited for callisto protocol now because you know dead space remake that's fine the, the thing is i don't really need dead space remake I, I i think kind of remaking any game from the xbox 360 to me is a little bit egregious because obviously xbox 360 games don't look stunning by today's standards but they are in hd and they and, and by the time we got to the Xbox 360, most game most genres, most game design was pretty uh, matured and fleshed out to where you know it's like third person shooters felt great, first person shooters felt great, 3D action platformers felt great, third person adventure games felt great. So there's not a lot of like it's not like the N64 where it's like we need to go back and figure this out because everything was broken back then. Graphics looked like ass. Nothing was in HD. Camera angles were fucking broken. Uh, jump mechanics were stupid. You couldn't see your shadow. You never knew where you were moving. The shooting kind of sucked. Aiming didn't work at all until Halo came out. But there's all these things from like the PS2 era, even the Xbox OG era a little bit, and, and then before that. But when, when you get to the 360, I feel like most of those games really hold up. And man, Dead Space 1 is a testament. Listen, I know the Dead Space remake looks beautiful, and I'm sure it will be a great experience for those willing to spend $70 on a game that is basically free on Xbox if you play the 360 version, uh, or if you have Game Pass and you have EA Access, or if you had games with gold and never downloaded it. Sure, go spend 70 bucks on a remake of Dead Space. But to me, Dead Space for Xbox 360 2008 
looks and pro plays beautifully. Does it does it look as good as Halo Infinite? No. Does it look amazing for a game that was released in 2008? Yeah. I played this game on a fucking 60, uh, what, I don't even know what my TV is, 62 inch 4K HD TV. And it looked great. <laughs> you know, it looked really good. Obviously it's not the best looking game of all time, but it is aged gracefully. The art style is, is insanely stunning and it has aged perfectly. And the graphics are more than serviceable and 720p, whatever, I don't care. The game held up great and at no point were the visuals a hang up for me. I think this game, you know, if you're if you're waiting, if you're like me and you're like, mm, Dead Space Remake, Callisto Protocol, which way do I go? You know, similar games, which one should I go for? I, I, I say play Dead, just play the original Dead Space, dude. It's included in EA Access. You probably have it from Games of Gold from a few years ago. Save your money for Callisto Protocol because that's a new game, not a remake of a game that still holds up without a remake. So anyway, that's what I've been playing this week. I, I don't want to go on too much longer. I know it's been a lot, but I'm just, that's the thing I'm most excited about in gaming right now is I finally played Dead Space. It feels like a massive title for my backlog has been completed. And, um, and, and more importantly that, than that, I, I have discovered one of my absolute favorite games of the Xbox 360 generation, uh, a generation I would consider to be my favorite generation of gaming, period. You know, like I, I consider the Nintendo Wii slash the Xbox 360 to be my, my absolute favorite uh, era of gaming. And um, to know that there is a game from that time period um, that I just never played, that I, I absolutely adore and love, that now I have experienced, you know, I've gotten to experience all these years later. It, it's actually it's actually kind of, in a way, it's amazing, because it's like, man, imagine if I could just go back and re-experience Call of Duty World at War, or Guitar Hero World Tour, Left 4 Dead, or Sonic Unleashed for the first time again, you know? That's kind of what it feels like, except I just never played this game. So, last thing I want to say before before we get into um, before we get into the actual news itself, I do just want to say real quick because I um I do just want to say real quick because um there is a I'm thinking of Dead Space, I'm thinking 2008, it's taking me back. I want to quickly go through a little bit of this because look at where we are with gaming today, where it's like you look forward to one or two games. Listen, you end up playing a lot of games. There's a lot of great games, a lot of indies and things like that. And Game Pass opens your mind to so many games you otherwise wouldn't have known about. But back in that like 2007, 2008 era, gaming was so fucking good. So I looked it up because you know playing Dead Space was really making me think about that era a lot. I was like, what what games all came out in 2008? What what was that year? Listen to this. Army of Two, amazing game. Uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl, the best Super Smash Brothers game. Fight me on it. Mario Kart Wii, the best Mario Kart game. Grand Theft Auto 4, which is actually not my favorite Grand Theft Auto, but what you know, whatever. It's a, it's a big deal. People love that game. Ninja Gaiden 2, Mirror's Edge, Rock Band 2, Dead Space, Bioshock. Oh, that was for PS3. Bioshock came out a year early on Xbox 360. Far Cry 2, Fable 2, Spider-Man Web of Shadows, Guitar Hero World Tour, Fallout 3, Command and Conquer Red Alert 3, Gears of War 2, I think I already said Mirror's Edge, Animal Crossing City Folk, which is the best Animal Crossing, fight me, Left 4 Dead, Sonic Unleashed, and of course, Wii Music. No, no, I'm just kidding about that last one. But yeah, dude, 2008, what the fuck? And that's just some of them. I, I, I missed a couple. Mercenaries 2, World in Flames. God, rest in peace fucking uh, pandemic games. Like, oh my God, what an immaculate year. What what an absolute amazing year for gaming! It's just like God, dude. I I can't even think of a game a year in the past like decade plus. That's in the I can't yeah I can't think of a year in the past decade that's even been that that good. In two thousand seven was another one of those amazing years. Just the year before, Halo three, fucking Mario Galaxy. Holy shit, dude! Amazing, just absolutely immaculate. Um, 
Anyway, I just want to go over that. F- fucking shout out to the uh, late late aughts. Such a good time for gaming. Shout out to the Xbox 360. Obviously not the best Xbox. The best Xbox is always the most current Xbox because this Series X does it all. But, you know, if we're talking about the Xbox that I just think had the best energy and momentum and support and just kind of feverish uh, excitement and, and, and just pure enjoyment surrounding that platform... Oh, it's it's gonna be hard to convince me it wasn't the 360, man. <laughs> it's such a good such a good time for gaming. All right, let's jump into the actual news now. Stop it on a nostalgia trip, and we'll talk about the actual what's going on in the world of Xbox this week. All right, so here we go with the news. We have one, two, five, five, six stories to get through this week. Not terribly long. Nothing terribly. Whoa! But this first news, I, I guess the first the first story actually is a little surprising. Um, I know I'm, for one, pretty excited, so let's get into it, guys. VGC reports that Microsoft have announced that Xbox Cloud Gaming is coming to MetaQuest. MetaQuest 2. The company's CEO, Sachin Nadella, that's Microsoft's CEO, revealed the news during a MetaConnect 2022 live stream this past Monday, saying, quote, the Xbox Cloud Gaming enables you to stream hundreds of high-quality games to a range of devices that will include MetaQuest 2 in the future. Uh, this was said also in an accompanying blog post and continuing on, he said, when Xbox cloud game launches on MetaQuest store, you'll be able to hook up an Xbox controller to your headset and play console games from Xbox game pass library on your massive 2d screen, like having a private movie theater available at all times. No data is available yet, but we hope to share more details as soon as possible. They added, man, there's very little to go off of here. This was kind of a comment made like in passing and so it's, it wasn't like a huge thing it wasn't like this is the bombshell news of this event uh and so i guess they're not really digging into it too much but the thing is i'm actually so excited about this uh this is actually like kind of all i want from vr in a, in a way is I, I love vr don't get me wrong i have a meta quest too i adore that thing when i first got it for the first month or two i was obsessed with it I, I, there are some games and some experiences I really do love putting on the headset and having like the motion and the the sense of really being there. But if I'm being honest, nine times out of ten, it's not that fun to go through all the pain and setup of of a, of a, a VR headset. However, the idea to put on, uh, of putting on a headset and playing your Xbox games like normal, like sitting on a couch with a video game controller and having your headset on, but playing regular Xbox games is incredibly enticing it's another way to just add further immersion. Like, for example, like, w- one thing I always think about is when I'm, you know, on Sat- Saturday is, like, Jesse's big game to pl- day to play games. And um, I love waking up early on a Saturday and then just, like, waking up, brush my teeth, head straight to the couch and play video games. Like, that's, like, one of my favorite things. That's, like, the how I know. It's, like, I earned this fucking weekend. It's, like, the moment with one day a week I get to do that. And, um... The thing, the problem is, there's always this time of day, and it's like late morning, and then it happens again, I guess, early evening or around sunset, actually, where the sun starts to set or rise or whatever, and the sun hits this window that hits onto my TV and just completely fucks up the picture of of gaming, and to me, it's just the idea of like being able to put on this VR headset but still sit on the couch and still hold my Xbox controller and have this like infinitely more immersive level of just being encapsulated in the game is so exciting. Fuck that outside lighting getting on my TV or, you know, like you're playing a horror game and it's better to experience it at nighttime, but it's daytime and that's the only time you have to play the game. And now you can put on the headset and boom, you're in a scary environment playing your fucking dead space on, on your VR headset. And it's 
beautiful. It's perfect. It's also just more. It's also just more uh, in uh, immersive, just in general. You know, regardless of the game you're playing or the time of day, if you just want to feel more in like in your zone. Obviously, cloud streaming is never going to be as good as playing a game natively, so it kind of sucks, you know, to think it's like, damn it, what if there was an Xbox headset? It doesn't have to be VR, it's just a headset that can natively run Xbox games so I can play that way without having to stream the game. Like, that. now that's what I want, but honestly, as someone who has a MetaQuest 2, I, I cannot wait for this to actually come to fruition, because this is this is actually a feature, a, a way to engage with uh, cloud gaming that is incredibly exciting to me. It's also interesting because we, we've just seen time and time again where Microsoft has doubled down and said, hey, we're not building a headset. We don't see Xbox and VR gaming, you know, being a thing that's going to like pan out or something that we, we want to invest in. It's not something we see a future worth getting involved in. And so to see this is basically as close as we're going to get to any kind of Xbox VR type experience because Microsoft has made it abundantly clear time and time again, we're just not building a headset. And in a world where PlayStation's getting ready to launch their second VR headset, MetaQuest continues to be super popular. VR, I think VR has proven itself to be a, a platform that is here to stay, but it hasn't taken the world by storm in the way of like really eating into the market of like the PlayStation and Xbox type of ecosystems. Um, but you know, in a world where VR has made itself a known presence, a permanent presence, it is cool to see Xbox have some kind of way for you to engage with these headsets as well as, you know, in relation to your Xbox gaming experiences. So I, for one, am really excited for this. I think this is fucking awesome. I, I, I don't see this as potentially being a way for them to eventually explore. Should we do VR? I, I don't read this that way. I read this entirely as we need to get Game Pass in the hands of players. You know, we need to meet players with where they're at. That's like the ongoing mission statement at Xbox is we want to meet players with where they're playing at. And I think right now we're, we're facing this time where there's an up-and-coming generation of young gamers right now who are being raised on iPads and free-to-play Fortnite, iPhones, and VR headsets. Like, that's, that's gaming to a lot of kids right now. A lot of kids are not as enamored with PlayStation or Xbox or Nintendo the way that a lot of us grew up. And um, Microsoft is trying to have their freaking platform available in all those spaces. If kids are going to play Roblox and Minecraft on phones and they're going to jump on random VR games and, and, and drop F-bombs at, at strangers and all the various things that kids like to do, Microsoft wants to make sure they are available on those platforms so that at the very least they can have that exposure. Maybe you don't get little Johnny, six-year-old Roblox elite player to ask mommy and daddy for an Xbox Series S for Christmas, but maybe if you put cloud gaming on his Oculus Quest 2 next time he's playing VR Rec Room or whatever the fuck he'll see, Xbox Cloud Gaming and be like, gee whiz, mom, dad, what is Minecraft Dungeons? And all of a sudden, there you go, you're getting a little Johnny involved. Um, so again, it's just about trying to meet all the markets with where all the markets are at. And, uh, and, and, and it, it, to me, this is a win. Like I, this is actually a feature I will use. Like I have every intention of using it. I think this will be awesome. And, uh, it, 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 again, it broadens the, the user base of the Xbox of the, of the game pass user base. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm genuinely excited. I think this is really cool. Um, I, I want to be able to read this the other way and do the whole, is Xbox dipping their toes in the water and trying to explore VR? Do you think Xbox will do? I, I, I no, I, I don't want to entertain the conversation or the idea because I just don't feel like that is even remotely something they're, they're doing. And Microsoft as a company, as a broader company, Microsoft has explored mixed reality and, 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 and um, augmented reality to quite a large extent. Um, but it has a lot to do with 
you know, their kind of metaverse and also like technological and innovate in, in educational fields. It's a lot more out of an enterprise or an industry kind of leading thing and less of a consumer focused product with HoloLens, with Microsoft's mixed reality efforts. And, and they made it very clear, like we're not trying to make this a gaming thing. Although there was a time, if you remember back in the, in the day, about eight years ago, where they were initially teasing and marketing this technology as potentially having gaming uh, use cases, it just never came to fruition. We never heard about it again, and they've made it abundantly clear that they specifically don't want to get into VR. So I, I just don't want to continue to entertain that potential notion. I don't think this has anything to do with that. It's simply just about it wouldn't be that difficult to get this streaming service that you're trying to grow and grow and grow onto yet another platform or where there's a new up-and-coming user base of, of young gamers. So let's try to meet them where they are. And that's really all this is, but Boy, oh boy, is exciting because I think this is a really fucking cool way to play your Xbox games. All right, next up, let's talk about the Game Pass subscription money-generating revenue number stuff. I actually think this is really interesting. Kind of in line with that story of Mild Amusement with Ark Survival earlier in the news, this is like a an even more interesting version of that kind of story where Microsoft have generated around $2.9 billion in revenue from Xbox Game Pass subscriptions on console in just last year alone, it's been reported. As spotted by Tweaktown, the lengthy report by Brazilian's Administrative Council of Economic Defense uh, on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Blizzard Activision included a small table revealing that information. According to the table, of which Cade CADE says the source of Microsoft itself, the Xbox company saw an income of $2.9 billion worldwide from game uh, subscription services for consoles, meaning Xbox Game Pass. There is no word on whether or not that includes anything like Xbox Live Gold or whatever, but we assume for sure that's Game Pass. It's worth noting that the actual profit is not revealed on the report and that the revenue figure does not include PC Game Pass. So this is simply home console Game Pass subscriptions and it's just by revenue, not by net profit or yeah, not not by not by net profit, it's just revenue. As noted by Tweaktown, this means that Game Pass has made up roughly 18% of Microsoft's total annual revenue, which was $16.28 billion, nearly 30% of its games and services revenue, $12.581 billion for that period. In the table also the table also claims that the Nintendo Switch Online saw a $932 million last year, while EA Play reportedly took in $356 million. Now it's important to note Game Pass is a $10 to $15 a month service. Nintendo Switch Online is a like what three four five dollar a month service so for them to be making uh that you know roughly half the same amount of money on a service that costs a fraction of the same amount just obviously speaks to the install base of the nintendo switch versus the install base of xbox hardware uh, of course and then ea play 356 i don't know whether or not to look at that as an impressive number or not i never thought ea play was that successful of a service and i, I really don't know if i should look at that as like mm, it's better than i thought it was or it's about on par with what i thought it was or it's worse but wrapping up, it says no figure was given for Sony's game subscription services, PlayStation Now, which is now defunct and revamped into their new PlayStation Plus thing they relaunched this summer. Nothing was shown on that, so we don't have figures for how that service was doing while it was running last year. But the information given was part of CAD's reporting explaining why it had approved Microsoft's proposed acquisition, which we will get into actually um, in, its in, in our next story. But first, I want to just stop here and talk about this. So I don't have too much to say about this because it's a, a numbers thing, right? But $2.9 billion in revenue from Game Pass. And we still know that Game Pass is not a roaringly profitable service. Now, again, I don't mean to harp on that too much because I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. 
for Microsoft. If we're just solely in an isolated context talking about Microsoft, it doesn't matter whether or not Game Pass is profitable. I think Game Pass either is or will get to a point where it is generating enough money that even if they never make money off of Game Pass, it will draw enough goodwill, enough attention, enough brand recognition, enough revenue streams of other sorts to justify its existence. I think for Xbox, Game Pass will ultimately prove itself to be a net positive for Xbox, for Microsoft. So again, whether or not it ever makes money for Xbox, irrelevant. I think it will draw enough attention to hardware, accessories, in-game purchases, DLC, all the various like purchasing options that as we see this Game Pass subscriber count continue to climb and climb and climb as it just reaches all over into all the VR headsets and phones and tablets made by Tencent and all the sort, uh, sorts of devices, I think we will see that number kind of even itself out more and more and more where it just doesn't matter what kind of loss Microsoft's taking because Microsoft can frankly afford to take that loss. The reason why I care about the profitability of Game Pass is because I think if Game Pass continues to just... You know, think about where Game Pass was in 2017 when it launched. And think about where it is now, five years later. Think about where it's going to be in five years. Game Pass is going to exponentially just continue to become a monstrosity of, of, of just a gaming service that no one can keep up with. And the reason why I care about its potential to be profitable is because that has everything to do with what's in store for Nintendo's future, what's in store for PlayStation's future, what's in store for the other guys, the third party's future, because I want to make sure the future of gaming has room for other players. And I would be sad if a service like Game Pass makes it so financially unattainable for so many players that all we're left with, you know, are the people who have so much fucking money that they can afford to just take a loss endlessly. And that would leave us with Microsoft, which I'm cool with. I love Microsoft. It would leave us with Tencent. I'm not cool with that. It would leave us with Saudi Arabia. I'm not cool with that. It would leave us with Google. I, I mean, they'll come in and out of it as they please, or Amazon. And this is where I start to draw the line. Is where it's like, ah, the only players that can afford to play the game now are the worst actors possible. That is my only concern about the profitability of Game Pass is because I do worry about a potential future where people are so hooked on subscription service gaming that it starts to eat away at the desirability for people to play on other platforms like Nintendo or PlayStation. And then you see companies like Nintendo and Sony run into the issue of, well, we cannot sustain a, a service like Game Pass, you know? Nintendo, obviously, you know, they talk about the war chest, right? Nintendo has so much money. Nintendo is a tiny, tiny company compared to a company like Microsoft. Nintendo has money, and they're smart, and they're wise, and they're frugal, and they know how to extract a lot of fruit from their development initiatives. Sure, you know, give, it, give Nintendo for a lot of credit for all the things they do. They make profitable hardware that's cheap to manufacture, and they make a, a lot, do, they, they, they do a lot with a little. Like, Nintendo's great at these things, and they've been incredibly profitable, incredibly wise financially, but... They're no Microsoft. Nintendo could not afford to do a Game Pass type service. And Nintendo made Nintendo Pass, where the latest Mario and Zelda just launches straight into Nintendo Pass whenever they come out. That would destroy Nintendo. That would fuck them up so bad. And that's my concern. And it's not today, it's not tomorrow, it's just down the road where it's like, man, $2.9 billion in revenue, that's a lot of revenue, but we know Game Pass isn't profitable. So how much are they putting into it? And that comes down to kind of what we were talking about. The money they're throwing down to get games like Ark Survival or Outriders or MLB. The, the, the massive sunken development costs and making a game like Halo Infinite that has just been such a massive cost. And then being like, here you go, Game Pass. 
these things are expensive as hell. And yeah, they monetize them in other ways, and I think it's going to work out for Xbox in the long run. I'm not worried about Xbox. I'm not worried about uh, Microsoft. But boy, oh boy, I would be crestfallen if in the future we're not making fun of Nintendo for making yet another uh, Zelda game or yet another fucking Smash Brothers game. But instead we're like, are you guys subscribed to Tencent Plus? It only costs 10 cents a month because it's so fucking awesome and you can play Genshin Impact 3 on it. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I want death. Now I, now I, 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 I have a seething pain in my heart and I need it I need death to come and cure it and that is where we would end up so you know that's that's one very specific potential outcome hopefully it's the least likely hopefully it doesn't happen but this stuff makes me weary it at least gets the wheels in my head turning a little bit and starts to make me wonder and I hope I'm wrong oh god I hope I'm wrong thankfully I am wrong a lot of the time but god I hope I'm wrong on this one but um I mean that's crazy that's crazy we know game pass isn't profitable and last year in revenue, it brought in $2.9 billion just on home consoles. Think about that. <laughs> that's crazy. That's cr- that's absolutely crazy. Uh, okay. All right. Let's move on um, to the other half. The uh, Well, the other story that was extracted from that filing for this week. All right. Continuing on with the Brazilian Administrative Council of Economic Defense or CADE or C-A-D-E, whatever. Uh, they've said that they believe PlayStation could still be competitive with Xbox despite Call of Duty uh, becoming, or if Call of Duty were to potentially become exclusive to Xbox's platforms, which we also know is not going to happen, or at least not anytime soon. On Wednesday last week, the country's competition watchdog said that it had approved Microsoft's proposed $68.7 billion merger with Activision Blizzard with no restrictions. Yeah, Brazil was the first one. They were just like, fuck yeah, make it happen. Uh, Brazilians are obviously Xbox. That's that's a given. Explaining the, its reasoning for their decision, their approval, uh, Kate appeared to imply that Sony can have little reason to complain about potential exclusivity given the exclusive content a role in PlayStation's success story. Quote, investment is in exclusive content is and always has been very important to the competitive dynamics of a console segment, the report states. Continuing on, exclusive content was most likely one of the main factors responsible for positioning the PlayStation as a leader in the world console market for more than two decades, a leadership that continues to this day. CAD then claimed that even if the deal eventually resulted in PlayStation losing access to Activision Blizzard content such as Call of Duty, Sony would still have the means to remain competitive, as Nintendo has managed to do so without having that blockbuster FPS series on its console since the nintendo wii u guys reminder the last time a call of duty game came to nintendo hardware was 2013's call of duty ghosts on the nintendo wii u quote with the acquisition of a publisher such as activision blizzard and considering the theoretical risk of the company's content becoming exclusive to xbox it is likely that the eventual conclusion of the transaction will give microsoft a considerable competitive advantage in the console sector it said Continuing on, even so, CAD does not see such advantage as it represents a risk of closing this market for current competitors. As it rarely is seen, Nintendo does not currently rely on content from Activision Blizzard to compete in the market. So they use Nintendo as the proxy, as the example as to why Sony, even if Microsoft were to play dirty and take Call of Duty away from PlayStation, why Sony would not be at a competitive disadvantage. Now, this is, I half agree, half disagree with this because, because Nintendo has not fostered a market that craves Call of Duty. The reason why we don't get Call of Duty on Nintendo isn't because Nintendo's hardware can't handle Call of Duty, even though it can't. Um, the reason we don't get Call of Duty on, uh, on Nintendo consoles is because the Call of Duty market does not demand access to Nintendo's platform. 
Nintendo's hardware does not foster a gaming community that seeks out third-party content, especially the kinds of third-party content we're used to seeing flip between PlayStation and Xbox. In fact, you can take this example far beyond the reaches of Call of Duty. And so this is just this part is to play devil's advocate. Hang on, we'll get to the other side. Because Mass Effect was on Nintendo once. They don't do Mass Effect on Nintendo anymore because it it doesn't work out. The Batman Arkham games have been on Nintendo. Assassin's Creed's been on Nintendo. They tried, especially with the Wii U, when the Wii U came out and it was like, hey, we're kind of on par with Xbox 360 and PS3 because the Wii U came out towards the very end of PS3 and Xbox 360, right before PS4 and Xbox One. And as you'll remember, when Wii U came out, there was this brief moment for like two years where it was like, Hey, so Nintendo's kind of like on par with Xbox and PlayStation in terms of like power and online capability now. And so a lot of like Wii U's launch games was like, here's Call of Duty Black Ops 2 and here's Batman Arkham Origins and here's Mass Effect 3 and here's Assassin's Creed 3 and it had a lot of this kind of content. But just like in the Wii era where occasionally you would see these kinds of things like an attempt to bring Call of Duty Modern Warfare to the Wii, for the most part, even though some of these games did sell kind of well, what you would see is that Nintendo wasn't really where these games cut their teeth and got their defined audience, you know? PlayStation and Xbox have always had technical and feature set parity. I know we as fans like to get really bogged down in the weeds about, oh, well, Xbox Series X is more powerful than PlayStation 5 technically, and PlayStation fans are like, well, PlayStation has a faster SSD, so it's better than Xbox, and you know, like, seven years ago, it was all like, well, PlayStation 4 is actually more powerful than Xbox One, and that's why Xbox has to play everything at 900p instead of 1080p, and I know we like to get really nitty-gritty about these stupid details that only kind of matter, you know, DualSense versus an Xbox controller, Kinect versus PlayStation Move, all this stupid shit. But at the end of the day, there is a lot more in common with what the PlayStation package offers versus the the Xbox package. I I say this all the time. This is why the very concept of an Xbox versus PlayStation fanboy is so goddamn brain dead stupid. Because it's like, dude, if Xbox, if if Microsoft just said we're killing Xbox tomorrow, like it's done. Xbox is buy. We're confiscating everyone's hardware. We're shutting down your profiles. We're deleting all your content. All your achievements gone. Fuck you. It's the new Windows phone. You are sad. You know what I would do? I would just go buy a PlayStation 5 and play PS5. I wouldn't be happy. I would be for, you know, it'd be like me on my Android phone forever bitching and moaning about Windows phone. But that's not the point. The point is the PlayStation is such a is such a compelling alternative for Xbox users that it's like, yeah, that makes sense. And the Xbox is such a compelling alternative for PlayStation users, users that vice versa. And so games like Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Mass Effect, Batman Arkham, these games have a huge huge pull and huge draw on both Xbox and PlayStation hardware. So even though I do see and take the Nintendo competitive approach to some extent, it's not one for one because when you look at Nintendo's hardware, all the games they sell are Nintendo games. Nintendo game, like on Nintendo hardware, it's like they, they have insanely high attach rates, but it's like Animal Crossing, Mario Kart, Smash Bros. Those are the games that sell. And when it's not a Nintendo game that sells, it's some second party game for Nintendo it's something it's something silly like I I don't know it's it's some like Monster Hunter game or something that's made for Nintendo's hardware right so it's not the same thing because when 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 you see like oh uh what's that game um oh Control is available on Nintendo Switch Borderlands is available on Nintendo Switch oh they brought all these games to Nintendo Switch it's like yeah that's cute 
That's cool for like the 12 year old whose parents won't buy them a PlayStation or an Xbox when they have a Nintendo Switch and they're kind of getting into more mature titles and now, you know, but like for the most part, no one gives a shit about Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal on Nintendo Switch. They're going to play that on their PC or their Xbox. They're going to play Mario and Rabbids and fucking Zelda on their Switch. So it's not a one-to-one. And if you take Call of Duty away from PlayStation, it does a whole lot more damage than if you take Call of Duty away from Nintendo. Because I remember, I was one of the few fucking people out there that played Call of Duty on Nintendo. For the longest time, I thought I didn't like Black Ops 2, because even though I always played Call of Duty on Xbox, for some fucking reason in 2012, I bought Call of Duty Black Ops 2 on the Nintendo Wii U instead of the Xbox 360. Don't ask me why I did it, I'm fucking stupid, okay? But the point is... I was one of zero people in the entire goddamn universe who were like, guys, why aren't they bringing Black Ops 3 to Wii U? Guys, why aren't they bringing Call of Duty Advanced Warfare to Wii U? Because no one gave a shit. But if randomly Call of Duty Advanced Warfare hadn't come to PlayStation, people would have been like, yo, what the fuck? If Destiny 2 just stopped being on Xbox one day, people would be like, yo, what the fuck? These games matter. And I just don't think this is a a fair one-to-one comparison. But at the same time, I do take somewhat of a stance with them in that I think Sony is being way too woe is me about the potential of losing Call of Duty. I know Call of Duty is the biggest entertainment franchise in the world. I understand by revenue, by by audience, it's, it's fucking massive. It's as big as it gets. I get that. But again, we don't have to talk about this anymore because we, we've talked about it so much. Sony has made their fucking name on buying exclusivity to content so the competitors can't have it. You know, we're looking at Final Fantasy 16, which is shaping up to be a great game. Too bad I can't play it because Sony paid for exclusivity, so it's never coming to Xbox. Final Fantasy VII Remake, I still want to fucking play it. Too bad I never will because Sony paid for... Sony paid money to make sure Square Enix canceled the version for Xbox. I want to be very specific about my wording on that. That game was supposed to come to Xbox. It was not that Sony struck a deal early in development to make it a PlayStation exclusive. It was that Sony paid Square Enix money to take that game away from Xbox players. To take a planned, in-development Xbox skew of Final Fantasy VII Remake away from Xbox. I want to be so fucking clear and and, and direct about that wording. Because that's what happened. Okay? So when Sony's like, it's not fair, we did Call of Duty. It's like, fuck you, dude. (laughs) You think I don't want to play all these awesome games that you keep paying for exclusivity on? Like, fuck you. But at the same time, you, you know, it's so it's... I don't even, it's fun to talk about, right? Because we can go back and forth on the hypocrisy and drawing the parallels and the contrasts and everything that exists between this dichotomy of Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo. But at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is Sony's going to be just fucking fine. They're way far and ahead in first place. And they have a great lineup of first party exclusive content. They're getting close to not having that because they just fucking remake the same three games from four years ago over and over and over again. Like, can't fucking believe they're about to remake fucking Horizon Zero Dawn of all goddamn games. But Sony has an amazing history and track record of just great first-party exclusive content. They have great second-party relationships and great second-party content. I don't think they're losing Call of Duty at all. I don't think Microsoft would ever do that. Phil Spencer's made it very clear. Like, it doesn't make financial sense for us to do that. But even if it did happen five years down the road, ten years down the road, whatever, PlayStation's going to be just fine. And I promise the only way that Sony is going to react to this acquisition when it finally does go through, because it will go through, mark my words, the EU is going to approve it eventually. It's going to get through all the regulatory boards around the globe, and it's going to happen. 
probably by the end of the year or early next year. When all is said and done, Sony's response is going to be to get back, to spend money on studios. The, the rumors of them buying Square Enix or something like that. One of these things is going to happen, and it's going to be Sony's response to this. So don't act like this is all like Microsoft is taking shit away from PlayStation because ultimately PlayStation's going to just be fine. So I think we need to put that story to rest. I'm really fucking tired of this coming up. Like At first it was like, wow, that's crazy. Console wars are resurfacing. But now I'm just like, oh, okay, guys, let's move on with life. We get it. Somebody's really salty. Phil Spencer keeps talking a little bit too much when he doesn't need to because everyone's already on Xbox's side. Like, uh, if anything, Xbox has done a little harm for themselves because last year, last, I keep saying last year, last week, they put up that stupid propaganda website about, like, why it's good for everyone if they buy Activision, which is just fucking slimy and gross. That, that was so dumb that they put that up. Um, because Here's why it's good for a major corporation to buy another major corporation. Here's why everyone wins when that happens. Like, fuck off, dude. Xbox, you don't look bad, but you're making yourself look bad by talking when you don't have to because everyone thinks you're in the right here. So just shut the fuck up and let Sony look ridiculous by talking and talking and talking. But anyway, that's enough of that for now. Uh, Here's a quick one. Uh, Next story, VGC reporting because VGC, the only news source out there as far as I'm concerned, I even get my world political news from them. It's a joke for those who don't understand. Ubisoft have announced that its global creative office, a new restructuring, which will see its business seek to give more autonomy to specific game studios. Now, in a press release, the company stated that the overall goal is to boost creativity and ensure the highest level of quality and execution and delivering of Ubisoft's games. Ubisoft is seeking to move away from a centralized organization to better support the key segments of Ubisoft's portfolio strategy. They added, building a group's vision, building on the group's vision, each poll will leverage its expertise and dive into the specificities of its audiences, such as game design and tech. Ubisoft CCO Igor Igor. Uh, Mansou, Mansou, uh is leaving the company for personal reasons in November. Following Igor's departure, senior VP of the Studio of Operations, Marie-Sophie de Waubert, will temporarily take over management of the creative office to ensure a smooth transition across teams and projects. So I wonder what this is kind of all about because we, we keep looking at Ubisoft and it looks like Ubisoft's kind of in a little bit of hot water. Things keep getting delayed and canceled and restructured and no one likes the uh the the games they're announcing it's just kind of been a little bit of a a bad situation over there and then the games they are working on are getting pushed back and just ubisoft's having a hard time right now we talked about it on and on ad nauseum their event in september didn't even go over that well because they just talked about like 47 assassin's creed games and never even mentioned that fucking call of duty uh competitor that i'm blanking on right now x defiant like, whatever happened in that game? That game, you keep doing testing betas for it every weekend. You're never going to release it? What's going on? I think putting a lot more trust and a lot more um, autonomy in the hands of their of their individual teams is a good idea, especially when so many of them have been proven because so much of how Ubisoft currently operates is like, hey, here's a big project. It's Assassin's Creed. It's a Far Cry, whatever. And we got teams all over the globe working on them. You know, giving more autonomy to those core teams as they kind of spearhead their projects and and letting the teams kind of bring what they have to the table is, is cool rather than having like a centralized team kind of parse it out. And the only thing my tiny brain that doesn't have much knowledge into, much of a, a look into how this all works and goes, can think of um, is that maybe the result of all these recent failures for Ubisoft has been a centralized organization that has been kind of micromanaging like what teams should be doing. Like try NFTs, try games as a service, try Battle Royale. 
and all these things just aren't panning out and they're being negatively received and dates aren't being hit and all this. And maybe now they're saying, you know what? Maybe what we need to do is take a step back and let's, uh, let, let this restructure kind of form a, a culture where teams can say, Hey, we know what our strengths are. We know what's best for us. We know what we hope to achieve and, and what we want to build. And uh, like fuck off and kind of let us make our thing, you know? And maybe it will, result in a more creative Ubisoft that isn't making 25 of the same game. Uh, more creative Ubisoft that has the autonomy to make a game as they see fit without trying to shove modern gaming conventions like live service or free or fucking free to play or, or NFTs or whatever into the game. And so that is the hope that is the desires that that's what this means is it's a, a move towards that because having an overarching hand on everything has been overall a bad thing. But conversely to that we see Ubisoft struggling with getting we see Ubisoft struggling with getting games out the door in a reasonable time frame, and so the only thing is I wonder, I worry, if giving all these teams more autonomy will maybe kind of make things a little more laissez-faire in terms of the production level, uh, you know, how how things are meeting targets in, in uh, timelines and things like that, and ensuring that games are, are developing along nicely and hitting their targets. Obviously, I, I, I they can't insinuate that they mean to be that hands-off because games are expensive to make they wouldn't just knowingly give up um, some kind of arm that is making sure teams are effectively and efficiently getting games made in a, in the most cost-effective manner you know they, they wouldn't do that that just wouldn't make sense for them um, so I, I assume that that's not really what they mean by this I think they're just talking more about from a creative standpoint giving teams more autonomy to build the games they're envisioning and play into their strengths better because that will result in more genuine pure interesting creative games that people might actually want to play as opposed to something like whatever that fucking battle royale they had for like 27 days was it was like jump space or slip slip butt or something like that all right let's do our wrap-up stories we got two of them uh actually sorry we got one a wrap-up story we got one i i'm kind of into this one so following last week or Right before last week's episode, uh, news started leaking out about the upcoming Need for Speed game. Now, EA said early in the year that they were going to release a new Need for Speed game um, sometime late this year, and then we never heard anything about it. And then some leaks happened last week, and then at the very end of last week, after last week's podcast had already published, uh, EA was like, yo, here it is, and they kind of did the whole welcome wagon for it. So let's just read it here from the VGC article. Following leaks and teases, EA have finally shown off their upcoming Need for Speed title for the fall, titled Need for Speed Unbound. That's a poorly written sentence. Sorry about that. Uh, Need for Speed Unbound, featuring 4K resolution at 60 frames per second for the first time in this series. The game will be released on Xbox Series S, Series X, PC via Origin Steam and Epic Games on December 2nd, 2022. Important to note, this game will not be coming to last-gen consoles. Sorry, Xbox One. However, customers who do pre-order the game will be able to play earlier than December 2nd, starting on November 29th, three days early. The standard version of the game will be priced at $70 or $80 for the Need for Speed Unbound Palace Edition, which is being created in partnership with Palace Skateboards, which will offer players exclusive content including custom cars, clothing pack, driving effect, decals, license plate, character pose, banner, artwork, and whatever. No one gives a shit. Just buy the regular game for $70. EA announced on February or in February 2020 20, so a few years ago, that they had handed Need for Speed developer duties back to Criterion Games uh, as it planned to restructure Ghost Games, who had been working on the series prior, uh, which made the previous four entries in the series. UK-based Criterion is best known for the Burnout series, definitely Burnout 3, Burnout Paradise, 
and has also developed two previous Need for Speed games, 2010's Hot Pursuit, which was pretty well received, and 2012's Most Wanted, which is one of my favorite Need for Speed games. Uh, it contributed to 2013's Need for Speed Rivals as well. Those are some of the more beloved, modern-esque Need for Speed games. Although, like, uh, yes, we're kind of a decade removed from those, which kind of makes me scared. Codemasters, Cheshire Team, um, the, out the outfit behind Dirt 5, the team behind Dirt 5, was integrated into Criterion earlier this year to help create future Need for Speed games. So not only will this be Criterion, the guys behind the original uh, Burnout series, but also this is going to be uh, one division of, of Codemasters, their Cheshire team, which is now part of Criterion. So a lot of talent that hasn't worked on Need for Speed in a while, plus talent that is new to Need for Speed coming together to take the series back over. And guys, I got to be honest, I looked at the trailer. This game looks fucking good. This game looks really good. Like, this game looks awesome. I love the art style. It's like a very, like, Need for Speed Underground where it's, like, nighttime street racing. Uh, but it has this, like, graffiti artsy kind of style. Kind of like a Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse kind of twist to it where, like, you're, like, driving around and your tires are burning, like, dust and sparks and it looks all, like, cartoony and anime-like kind of in a way. It's super fucking cool. But, like, your car and the environment looks super realistic and awesome. I, I, I think this game looks so cool. It definitely goes for, like, a kind of, like, urban graffiti street art kind of, like, twist on a on a real life environment so like the cars and the environments look kind of realistic but like the characters uh, the characters and stuff kind of look more real so it's a it's a really nice like mashup like if anything like there's no denying this game has a very striking very cool art style i'm i'm really into it honestly if it weren't for the fact that this fall is so crowded with so many games i already want to play and the fact that like i already have a bunch of forza horizon 5 stuff i'm behind on that i'd like to get back to i'd be a lot more in interested in like jumping into this game uh, I'm going to very eagerly be paying attention to reception to this game because it might, it, this, this, I could see this ending up being one of those games where I'm like, you know what? Looks great. I'll wait till it's on, you know, EA pass or whatever, whatever it's called, uh, EA play in a couple months and I'll, or I'll play it for cheaper later, you know, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll wait, but, um, damn it. The reviews are good enough for this shit. I, I might have to get involved a little early. It looks very, dude, it, like I, I, this is going to sound weird, but here, here's what I get from looking at this. This game looks like Need for Speed Underground 2 meets Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift slash Too Fast, Too Furious meets Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's like all of those things for some fucking reason combined into one like insanely cool looking Need for Speed game. I think this is actually the coolest looking Need for Speed we've had in a decade. The, like I said, the last one I really liked was Need for Speed Most Wanted in 2012, which I think was the same name as the game in 2008 was also Need for Speed Most Wanted. I don't don't ask me why. Uh, but yeah, dude, Need for Speed Unbound. This game looks fucking cool. Like I'm, I'm really into. It. And, and listen, like Need for Speed's had a lot of good games. I feel like it's a series that has been pretty solid and just kind of gone under the radar for a while, despite its history of being a beloved racing franchise. Like the last entry, which I think was Need for Speed Heat, that game looked really good too. I just never got around to playing it. I was like, whatever. Forza's kind of stolen my heart for these kinds of racing games. But man, Need for Speed Unbound. This this game looks special. Like it looks very very good. And I love that they're doing the whole we don't get enough of this. We're always talking about how we want more of this. The whole like let's announce it, unveil it, show it off, gameplay, release date, everything. Show it all in October and then we'll have it out 7 weeks later in December. You know, I love it. Love it. So cool. This game comes out like 7 or 8 weeks after it was officially announced. It looks great. Man, like, do props to Criterion in, in EA for handling this because I, I wish we got more announcements like this. Great looking game, amazing announcement to release cycle, 
I, I hope this game does well. I hope this kind of puts Need for Speed back on the map a little bit because it looks like it deserves to at least, but uh, hopefully it lives up to being as good as it looks because it does look damn good. Now, that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. Let's roll on over to the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have a handful. So let's blast through these real quick. Video Games Chronicle reports the following. Overwatch 2 servers have been down intermittently following Blizzard's emergency maintenance period uh, late earlier this week. Maintenance saw the removal of two characters, Bastion and Tor Torjon. Fuck, I, fuck if I know. Uh, these two characters have been removed from the game and can still be used in quick play, uh, but will be taking a quick trip to the workshop, they say, while they iron out a few bugs for their ability kits, uh, tweeted Blizzard. So uh, those characters are being tweaked and stabilized. Overwatch 2 continue to be a little bit of a mess. Uh, next up, Microsoft has officially confirmed the release and release a new Xbox Series XS controller design, which we saw leaked the other week. It is the Lunar Shift design, which was spotted on Twitter in, in September, but now it's officially announced. It's seventy dollars. It's coming out uh, now. It's actually available now, and in, in you know through Xbox's, you know the Microsoft Store, through Best Buy, all the channels, Amazon. Uh, also, a third-party peripheral manufacturer, Razer, shout out to Razer, love Razer, has collaborated with Xbox to release a universal quick charging stand in the same Lunar Shift colors, which is available in the Microsoft Store for 50 bucks. I actually might have to buy that because I've been looking for one of those, so that's uh, yeah, it looks good. All right, next up, VGC reports. Activision is reportedly planning on releasing premium campaign content for Modern Warfare 2 in 2023. So yeah, this was already kind of teased earlier in the year, but now we're getting some good reporting from reliable Bloomberg reporter Jason Schreier, who says that we should expect an expansion for the upcoming game to be released a year after it's a full release in 2023 instead of a new series entry. So as we all know already, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 will be getting a two-year cycle. So instead of a new Call of Duty coming out next year, we'll get a second year of support for Modern Warfare 2. And that is when we should see this new campaign DLC be released. Uh, also in the reporting, not only will there be a new expansion, like campaign expansion, but they'll be selling a bunch of old Modern Warfare 2 stuff. So... Instead of a new Call of Duty in 2023, we'll get a Modern Warfare 2 campaign expansion plus a, a Ghost of, as as Call of Duty leak or Ghost of Hope uh, reported. We'll be getting a, a map pack, which is supposed to have basically remasters of all the classic Modern Warfare 2 maps in modern in, in Modern Warfare 2, 2 2022. So OG 2009 Modern Warfare 2 maps for multiplayer will come into Modern Warfare 2 2022 so that you can play them there. I know it sounds confusing, but hey, that's Call of Duty. Activision already confirmed they're bringing new premium content to the game a year after launch, so that's no surprise, but now we're getting some reporting as to what that content might look like. And next up, the director of Silent Hill Movies has claimed that Konami is releasing several new games. They have several games in development. The comments were made during a French video interview translated by Reset Era, in which director Christopher Gans, Christopher Gans, super French sounding name, claimed that there are actually multiple Silent Hill games in development, saying, I know about the next game in the series. Uh, I work with the team, uh, with Silent Team and the original creators. I work on collaborating with Konami, he reportedly said. I'm working with the Silent Team, the creators of Konami, which are several games in the development as we speak, blah, blah, blah. He's talking French, probably smoking a cigarette and drinking a coffee while he said all of this. Yay! Multiple Silent Hill games, probably one of them from Bloober Team as we've known, and then one from Silent Team from Konami directly. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm so tired of seeing anything about Silent Hill um, because it's all just speculations, rumors, and leaks, and I just want to see the real announcement, so that's why I put it here instead of the main news because I don't care. 
Until you show it, I don't care. Next up, Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden will release for Xbox consoles and Game Pass on January 19, 2023. Atlas has been announced. Now, Persona 5 announces or releases in just a few days on Game Pass, but we hadn't until now had release dates for Persona 3 and 4 coming to Game Pass, which we knew were coming. We just didn't have dates until now. So October 21st for Persona 5 and January 19th for Personas 3 and 4. VGC, next up, VGC says actor L. Fanning, L.A. Ellie Fanning, will appear in the next game from Hideo Kojima. It's been confirmed. Now, would this be the Xbox game or some game they're working on for PlayStation? We don't know. But just in case this is the Xbox game, apparently she's going to be in the game. Who cares? All right, next up, the studio formerly known as Square Enix Montreal has rebranded themselves as Studio Onomo. The rebranding follows the studio's acquisition made by Swedish company Embracer Group. Square Enix Montreal was founded in 2011 with the goal of developing um, premium games before switching its focus to free-to-play games in 2013. It is the developer behind the mobile hit games like Hitman Go, Hitman Sniper, Lara Croft Go, Deus Ex Go, Hitman Sniper The Shadow, and Tomb Raider Reloaded, some of which were released on PC and console, but are mostly known for their... Uh, mobile debuts. Onomo is a Greek word for, uh, uh, or, or the name that means uh, endless possibility, a name that offers endless possibility, the studio said in the announcement on their website. So, uh, congrats on the rebrand. Square Enix Montreal, now known as Studio Onoma, which is a Embracer team and no longer Square Enix Montreal. That was a quick rebrand. Uh, now that they're, yeah, it's crazy. Just the other day, they were Western team working for Square Enix. Anyway, uh, let's get into our last two bits of news here. One, Blizzard has apologized for Overwatch's 2's rocky launch and has axed the policy requiring all players to have a phone number attached to their Battle.net account in order to access the game. I probably should have put that up there earlier. But yeah, so that's not a thing anymore, although apparently Call of Duty and a lot of other games are going to require the phone number. And lastly, Platinum CEO has broken the silence on Babylon's fall, saying that they have confirmed that the live service game uh, is officially closing, which we already knew but that they are very sorry for the disappointment that caused fans with how bad the game was and what a disappointment the game was and how much it failed. But CEO of Platinum Games, Inabi, claimed that the restrictions around the publishing arrangement have prevented them from commenting on the details of the game, but they have claimed that they are learning from this experience and have insisted that they have not altered the Bayonetta Studios' plans to make more live service games in the future. So... Babylon's Fall failed, and Platinum's game response was, we will try another live service game instead of just give up and go do what we do best. So more Bay, no, not more Bayonetta, more more live service from Platinum. Let's hope they let's hope they nail it. Maybe this time, guys. That's gonna do it for all of our news this week. Let's wrap up the podcast with a couple of comments. We only got a few this week, but you know how it goes. If you want to get involved in the conversation, if you want to ask some stupid questions, if you want to call me on my bullshit, if you want to have a fun conversation, head on over to youtube.com slash the Xbox on podcast. It's actually youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and leave a comment. You can say something nice like Jesse. I appreciate that you were so emotionally invested in McDonald's Happy Meals that you can go on rambling and rambling about this thing that no one cares about because we're all adults that eat carrots and normal shit while you're out here fishing for fucking uh, Big Macs. But, you know, keep up the good work. You're kind of dumb and you're probably going to die of diabetes. I'm like, thank you. And then you can comment and leave something stupid and say, Jesse, I've noticed that when you when you take six and you multiply it by seven, you get thirteen, and you're also stupid at the same time. Uh, I hope there is a spider under your pillow tonight. Uh, also, uh, Santa Claus is not real, and I'll be like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you," and, uh, and that will be that. But no one lets a comment like that this week. Unfortunately, maybe po- possibly a good thing. 
we got three comments to go through this week. The first one coming from none other than Mr. Maug, who has a massive penis, and who writes in about Halo's engine swap, which we talked about last week. He says, It would definitely be a strange thing to just swap everything over to Unreal Engine from Slipspace, but it's interesting that so many companies will end up just using Unreal anyway. Like when CD Projekt Red announced how they're using Unreal Engines going forward. Mr. Malik, this is a great callback. I, I didn't even think to use this, but yeah, CD Projekt Red was using a proprietary engine for Cyberpunk, and then they cited that as being a huge issue for all the woes that game faced in development, and said going forward, they're just using Unreal Engine. Now, we know a lot of people want to, a lot of teams want to use Unreal Engine because the tools are easy, accessible, and because they don't have to build a fucking engine. It's just easy to use someone else's engine to build a game. Unreal Engine is so refined, it's so uh, it's so accessible, it's so just it's so good, so capable that really pretty much anything can be done in it, and you don't need to spend all the money and development costs and everything on trying to build your own engine. It just doesn't make sense. A lot of times publishers or developers don't want to use uh, licensed engines like Unreal because then they end up owing money. So when you make a game with Unreal Engine, you owe, I think it's something like, it, the, the percentage can vary for like indie devs versus like big AAA games and big publishers, but it's something like 5% if I'm not mistaken, where it's like for every copy of a game you sell that was made in Unreal, you owe, like for example, Gears, Gears of War, famous Unreal game because it used to be made by Epic who make Unreal. But, you know, today, it's made by the Coalition. It's owned by Microsoft, right? So every time the Coalition makes a Gears of War game, which is made in Unreal Engine, they have to give Epic, like, it's something like a 3 or a 5% rip on every copy of of, uh, of Gears of War sold because they use, they licensed out the Unreal Engine. That's, like, the agreement, the, the, the contract that is worked out when using this licensed engine. So a lot of publishers like Microsoft or EA or whatever are like, hey, we want to use our own engine because you can save a lot of fucking money by not, you know, you, you take three or 5% of every copy sold and you multiply it by the, like, by the 10 million copies of the game you sell. That's a lot of fucking money you're giving to Epic over using their engine, where if you just eat the upfront cost one time to develop your own engine, now you can make as many games as you want in this series with this proprietary engine. You don't have to give anyone any money. And so that's where things like, EA's Frostbite engine come into play. Sony has proprietary engines like Decima that they use. Xbox has proprietary engines like Halo's Slipspace engine. And that's where these come into play. But it's so and so often we see this issue where it's like, well, you know, Halo's running into issues with Slipspace or like a lot of teams outside of DICE who don't make Frostbite but are forced to use Frostbite because they're EA-owned companies go on and complain about how Frostbite is a piece of shit engine to work for if you're not making a first-person shooter. And actually, a lot of devs blame Frostbite for some of the reasons why Mass Effect Andromeda turned out the way it did. CD Projekt Red blames their internal engine for a lot of CD Projekt's issues with Cyberpunk 2077. And now we see a lot of reporting that maybe 343's woes and development issues have to do with this proprietary slipspace engine. And so for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, it's it, we had to pay someone money to use it, but... It's headache-free when you just use the mainstream engine that is proven to work. Everyone has it. There's tons of solutions and tools to make it work. It's probably just best to use Unreal Engine. So I, I get why it's enticing to use, but, man, just to, to port everything over to that engine and just kind of rebuild the game like that, I just still think the investment, the time sink, the cost, it does not outweigh the benefit. I feel like fixing a slip space actually makes more sense time-wise and financially than just bringing it all over to unreal but yeah man good good point thanks for bringing that up i i yeah we'll, we'll see I, I i don't know where else to take that conversation going any any further you know 
still kind of boggles my head that that's a thing that's potentially happening. Uh, let's talk about whether or not this is a slow year for gaming or not. Kronky writes in, uh, you know, kind of contesting my repeated statement about it being a slow year for games and says, I don't think this is a slow year for games. I think it's just the last few years have been so unbelievably good that it looks slow by comparison. Doom Eternal, Resident Evil 8, Deathloop, hard acts to follow. I'm pretty happy with what has come out so far this year, and I think Scorn and Callisto Protocol will carry the back end of the year nicely. Yeah, I... I, mm, I you're right, but you're also wrong, Kronky. No doubt this year started out strong, you know. Um, obviously, Elden Ring was a huge one. Uh, I, I think about still my current favorite game of the year. Um, Nobody Wants to Save the World, that phenomenal game. Uh, if you're on PlayStation, you had that New Horizon game. Tons of really notable games at early in the year. But then after, like, Elden Ring came out, like, starting in late February, March, whatever, all the way until about now, it's been pretty damn dry this year. There's no denying that. And then, yeah, it's getting good in the fall. We got Sonic. We got Call of Duty. We got Batman. We got um, Callisto Protocol. We got a lot of games coming out this fall. We got Marvel Midnight Suns. Lots, lots of games. Scorn. So the list goes on and on. But I, I still say a lot of the games, even the ones I'm excited for, just aren't on a, a, a caliber, a level that's like, whoa, that game's coming out. We just don't have... You know that we this this year is definitely sorely lacking its Starfield type game, its Halo Infinite type game, no doubt. Uh, do I think it's been a bad year? No. I, in fact, I actually appreciate the slow year. It's allowed me to catch up on my backlog a little bit. I think a lot of us have appreciated that. It's also given us a lot of opportunity to explore some games on Game Pass we otherwise probably wouldn't have played, which I I think is a great thing. But I, I don't know. I, I stand by this has been a slow year for gaming. We got a good front load. We're getting a good back load, but. Everything in the middle was pretty bone dry, and, and, and we never did get a game to the caliber of, like, you know, I, I, I by the time the year ends, the two biggest games that will have come out for sure will have been Elden Ring and Modern Warfare 2. It's, it's, it's missing. It's, it's missing something, you know? Uh, okay, and our last comment comes from Acting Basher, who has a recommendation for us all. He says, Jesse, just got done with a really good game from, a game pa- from, ge- from Game Pass called Beacon Pines. Really well-written narrative story game. People should try it. Also, just started Tales from the Borderlands. Well, enjoyed Tales from the Borderlands. I don't know. I just want to give this a shout-out because uh, Beacon Pines is a game I've come across. I've seen the image on my dashboard on Xbox a million times before, and so I went and watched the trailer, and I do want to give this game a try. It has a very, like, late fall, early winter feel for me, so I don't want to play it now while it's Halloween time, but this game does look good. It does look like a nice little narrative-driven, cozy kind of wintry fall game. I'm not crazy about the art style and everything. It looks a little too furry friendly for me. But also, I watch Zootopia and like that movie, so why not? Uh, yeah, this, this is a cute little narrative, isometric, 2D, uh, kind of, um, not hand-drawn, but yeah, I don't know, like fun indie art style kind of game. It just looks a little too furry like for my liking, but I, I do want to give it a go. So thanks for the recommendation. And, and, and to all, play Dead Space or play Beacon Pines. You have a choice. Listen to me or listen to Acting Basher. But whatever you do, don't listen to your heart. Because what your heart's telling you to do is not what you really want. What you really want is to get on your Xbox right now, go over to the Microsoft Store, and you're going to want to pre-order the deluxe edition of Sonic Frontiers coming out November 8, 2022. Now listen to me. It's very critical that you get the deluxe edition for retail price of $79.99 because the $69.99 version is just not going to do it for you. In fact, I think the regular version is $59.99 and the deluxe edition is $69.99. Scratch that, but you're going to want to get the deluxe edition because it's going to come with extra gemstones, which is going to help you level up and give Sonic the most potential possible so you can defeat the evil Dr. Robotnik and restore peace and power to the freedom fighters 
that would be the plot the plot of the Saturday more uh, cartoon Saturday morning cartoon Sonic Sat AM as we call it in the community. But guys, this is Sonic Frontiers we're talking about. The music's looking great. We got Ian Flynn writing the story. I can't wait. Aren't you pumped? All right, that's gonna do it for this week, guys. For next week, leave a comment. Love to hear from you. Don't be shy. Reply. That's going to do for our podcast this week, but I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you had fun. I hope I haven't bored you to death with my stupidity and my rambling, although I probably have with some of you. That's okay. I hope you had a good time either way. Guys, until next week, have a good time. Be safe. Enjoy yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Love one another. Eat some good food. Play some good video games. And until we meet again, power your dreams. Power your dreams.